Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the Growing Conservatives Conversation and part of the Patriot Journalist Network, and now also a part of the American Liberty Radio Alliance. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And you can also go to, on Facebook, the American Liberty Radio Alliance by going uh, to Facebook and put into your uh, search engine there, American Liberty Radio Alliance, where you can see uh, posts from not only Bard's Logic Political Talk, but also other patriotic uh, stations as well, programs as well. So check that out on Facebook. Again, just putting in the American Liberty Radio Alliance, uh, which is just uh, very new and growing, and so uh, we're happy to be a part of that as well uh, as the Patriot Journalist Network. And so we're going to have an interesting show tonight. Uh, it was a, a busy week in the news, as you know. Of course, uh, in response to the alleged uh, gassing with sarin gas of uh, the Syrian rebels uh, killing children in those more horrific uh, video. Uh, but there, there's other people who have another take on that. There's some, and we'll uh, read an article, or I'll read an article later on, by our beloved Susan, and, and let's put our thoughts. And for those of you who pray uh, out there, prayers out there uh, for our uh, friend Susan, she has some things going on. I'm not going to give you specifics, but I just want uh, you to keep her in your thoughts uh, tonight. Uh, so I really appreciate it. But you did contribute. Uh, to us uh, an, a lengthy article, but I will read it in its entirety. It does give a, a different perspective of Assad and uh, the president of Syria. And so it will give us a different perspective than what we've been really seeing on uh, the news lately. So, you know, we'll cover different angles on that. And so our topic tonight is, you know, I was trying to say, you know, we have a kind of serious kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, whereas, you know, I put, are we headed towards World War Three? Of course, because we have, you know, threats from uh, the Russians, threats from North Korea, those who have nuclear weapons. Now, I'm not, you know, not really as a concern about uh, North Korea, Russia, eh, we'll see. Uh, but, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, we, I really don't think it happened, but it could. Uh, and some say we're actually in a World War Three already, and that's not a nuclear war, what everyone thought a, a World War III would be, but a, a war that is coming and just engulfing, not engulfing, I think that's too extreme of a word, but just, you know, encompassing, that might be a better, a better term, but encompassing the world is this fight against ISIS. 
And it's, I, mean, I think that Zoom is becoming central in Syria, uh, that fight. Now, for those who are biblical believers, they think there might be some kind of prophet here to whatever. And, of course, those thoughts are welcome as well. I do see Dr. Tolbert on the line, and we will get getting you in as well as others. So just push that one on your number dial uh, when you're ready to get in, and I'll bring in shortly Dr. Tolbert. Uh, so, but is it a possibility? And are we already in a world war uh, with this battle against ISIS and extreme, uh, extreme uh, Islam? And so we'll be talking about that tonight. We're also going to talk about uh, how the president, and that's since his campaign, is talking about the uh, repeal of the Johnson Amendment, uh, which is uh, prohibits the 40. I'm sorry, I'm on the license for well, 501c3 organizations, including churches, from endorsing political candidates, and also, of course, keeping uh, your pastors and, and such in order. <laughs> Dr. Tolbert can talk more about this, uh, but this will be in our second segment tonight. As you can see, I apologize, I still got that nagging cough I've had from. Uh, the flu I had a couple of weeks ago, but anyway, uh, we'll uh, we'll be talking about uh, that as well. And is that if they do repeal it, is that something that's going to be positive for free speech? And then, of course, uh, in the third hour, we'll be lovingly called Bard's Logic after dark. And no, Kelly, uh, we are not going to turn the second hour to the Bard's Logic Bible Hour, even through our discussion. I can almost hear him laughing now. Uh, but, you know, we, we could still put that in there anyway. And then in the third hour, uh, we'll be discussing other topics, such as a rumor going around. Now we know that uh, behind the scenes, and there's really not a lot of, uh, you know, being made of it, is uh, I heard a rumor of possibility of the vacation that uh, Bill O'Reilly is taking from Fox News is actually his uh, slow, or, or is, is a, not slow, but just kind of him walking away from Fox News because there's actually talk about that possibly been his last episode due to the alleged, <laughs> excuse me, uh, the alleged uh, sex ra- sexual harassment, uh, uh, sexual uh, harassment charges, I guess, not charges uh, against him, but allegations. And then now some are saying, you know, he already paid money. I've heard that he's paid money. We can investigate more of that. But we'll, we'll be covering that and other topics. Uh, in uh, our third hour. So we definitely have plenty to talk about. Uh, so hopefully we'll get uh, a lot of engagement here as well and get our callers and you out there. Uh, you know what, I guess, uh, open up the chat. And so let's go ahead and do that. But while I'm doing that, let's go ahead and welcome our friend, Dr. Tolbert. Thank you very much, sir, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well, and I really appreciate the opportunity because the subjects that you covered, they're actually answers. And I would like to take on the first one of Russia, Syria, Korea, United States, and China. And I'm going to put it in a perspective that people aren't thinking about. And so let's take it from a viewpoint, what if? We know that the president has a put-in position people that are members of the Illuminati's. We know that the president is a... Freemason, and we know he just elected people that are Jesuits. We know that these groups are part of one world power. So I'm laying a foundation. Now, what if President of the United States and the President of Russia said, you know, we have too much news media saying we like each other too much, 
So let's All right, do Dr. Something. Tobin, I was kind of thinking this myself. I was hoping it's not true, but uh, I was actually thinking, kind of thinking this uh, as well. I hate to say it, but I was like, yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, let me let me lay it out. So what happens is Russia and 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 the United States says, let's do this. Let's get a hold of the Syrian president, and what we'll do in Syria is we will cause a gas problem, and people will die. Seventy four, one hundred and twenty seven people, and it wasn't just children, but there were men, and we keep forgetting about the men that died. So what we're going to do, we're going to then react to that. They don't care so about men, Dr. Tolbert. <laughs> well, that's the problem. They keep talking women and children. By the way, the majority were men that did die, and, and they always forget us. So what we did, we sent 59 missiles into an airfield in Syria. There has been no one that died in that attack on the airplanes, and within one day, all the airplanes at that airport took off and were in the air and back and flight again. So there's the coincidences. Now, what happens is the news media says, okay, Putin and the president don't like each other because Putin is saying, you know, you should not have done that. Shame on you. And Trump says, well, we did it because. And so now we see that the news media has changed where Trump and Putin are friends that, oh, by the way, Trump and Putin don't like each other because uh, Trump went in and did something that Putin supported. Now, we go back into the president of Syria. If he comes out of power, ISIS takes over Syria. Is that a correct formulation? As it did in Iraq when we took out the president of Iraq. And we interfered there. So what we have done, we have staged a game or a play the news media is not yet picked up on. Today I was in a meeting with one of the uh, pastors, and we were going over this. And all of a sudden, while talking to the other pastor, it dawned on me that we're being given false information. Now we're going to take it from the other standpoint. Korea all of a sudden does something several days before the Chinese president meets with our president. Then the Chinese president and our president come to the conclusion that they will work together allowing products to come in from China, and China will then take hold of and control Korea. Another coincidence. Because Trump said that he does not want China to bring the goods in because it's interfering with the American products, all of a sudden they have a meeting, the discussions about Korea. So we got two coincidences, the president of China coming in days before the incident of Korea, there comes an agreement between the president and China, allowing the goods to come in if China takes charge of Korea. Now we have the president with Putin coming into an agreement the bombing or the 59 missiles going into the airstrip in Syria, nobody getting killed. We don't even know there were airplanes destroyed because we have a problem. The news media is not picking it up. Within 48 hours of your show tonight, someone's going to pick up and you're going to be hearing the same scenarios. But we got to go back, and is this all coincidence? Is the fact the president is a member of the Illuminati? He's a 
member of the Freemasons, which he admits to. He has hired people that are Jesuits, which is all part of the one world order, or did, in fact, the Syrian president do what is said that have been done? That is going to be an interesting detail. And right now where I stand, I'm going with Putin and Trump came to an agreement to protect the president of Syria, and they are going to do this in order to continue to keep ISIS from being and taking over Syria as they did in Iraq. So I'm going to kind of lay that out for people to discuss because I know there's going to be many different opinions. I am very proud of President Trump up to date. I'm not objecting to what he has done that we think he has done or what we see he has done, but there are things that are undermining And if I was in a position, and if I wanted Russia and I to work together as the United States, would I have staged some kind of performance in order to deceive the American public and the press so that I can continue to work with Russia without a complete investigation, as was being done by the Obama administration? Are you with me where I'm going with all this, Robert? Uh, yes, Sam. I was actually also uh, just chatting with a friend, uh, Jim Connor Jr. He's been on the show a number of times. Not to lie, I mean, I, I'm not saying he'd really be in line with what you're talking about by having conversations. I think there'd be, you definitely would find some agreement, and he could, uh, would probably elaborate on some of the points that you made, you know, with the Illuminati and things of that nature. I, I think you two need to talk off air really together. I think you guys would find a lot of commonality there. Yeah. But well, I just you know, uh, I received a text from him. Uh, yeah. I do a lot of papers, and I've written a lot of articles over the last several years on the Illuminati's. And on our website, uh, calledtoduty.org, uh, he can find the articles and how we put it together along with the um, uh, Islam and how the different groups tie together. And, in fact, on one of your shows last year, we got in more into details about the background and the history. Uh, we do know that, that Trump... Uh, as admitted, he was a Freemason. We do know that Iran is the bases and the headquarters of the Freemasons. We know that is also where the establishment of the Illuminati's are. And we know the Jesuits are in charge of the Federal Reserves, and we know that's an offset of the Catholic Church. So all these factors we know, and we know there's a relationship. So this is not something being made up. So we also know there was an article that came out showing where he had hired people that were members of the Illuminati's. And we just had an article that came out in the press talking about that he put people that were part of the Jesuits in his office and as advisors. So when you put all these pieces together and you know that one world power is the Illuminati's, the Jesuits, and the Freemasons, that is one group of individuals, and we know that is part of the United Nations, and we know how this is all working together. So then we go back into and look at, well, what's going on with Putin? What's going on with Trump? How does that tie this together? Is there a tie between it? And the different things that we can look at, we can look at Islam, we can look at the United States, we can look at communism, we can look at socialism, uh, and we can take all these factors but when you take them, then you got to stand back and you got to look down. And one of the things about being a doctor of education is I don't 
stand in the midst of all this. I kind of get on the outside of it, and I kind of look down on it, and I say, if I put these pieces together, what conclusions can I draw from what I see? Well, the conclusion is there may be a agreement between Russia and the United States to forego the press coming against them by establishing a factor that we have a disagreement, but we're not seeing Putin getting really upset. We're not seeing Trump getting really upset, and we're seeing behind the doors communications where they are actually still dealing with each other. So I'm going to put that on your table. The other one was that you're talking about the appealing of the 501c3, and you realize 501c3s are unconstitutional, correct? That according to the U.S. Constitution of First Amendment, that the U.S. government cannot control or be in charge of religious groups, and, and they established and the 501c3. Tolbert, we're, we're, yes. And we're going to talk about that in the second hour. So that'll be part of okay. our second segment uh, tonight. So we, we will get on. Yeah, we'll really talk more about that. And as and far so, as the and Riley's concerned, yeah, and as far as the Riley's concerned, real quick, last year at this same time, he took a two-week vacation. Right, yeah, it's around Easter. So there's 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 a lot of speculation. I've, I've got an article, uh, you know, that I'll refer to it and read some later. Now, this one I've got here, now it is lengthy, so I will warn you guys. Uh, but uh, I'm going to read it twofold. Uh, the reason why I'm going to go through it in its entirety is twofold. Uh, one is, uh, now this article is from our uh, dear Susan, because I don't know if you guys uh, know uh, that our panelist is a blogger. She has her own blog. And, uh, yeah, the blog is The Granny Channel. So you, you could go to thegrannychannel.com, and you'll see her articles and, and things of that nature. So that's our panelist, Susan, and that's her blog, The Granny Channel. And so because she will not be joining us this evening, uh, I do want to read all of uh, the articles she's got. So it's going to kind of uh, replace uh, her being here with us. And two, is it's going to give some historical background. Now, this is an article that she wrote back in 2015. So it is going to give uh, another perspective and it's going to give a little uh, historical background about uh, Bashar al-Assad, uh, the president of Syria. Now, before I begin, uh, you sound like you want to make a statement there, uh, Dr. Tolbert. Um, I, I think that the only statement I was going to make was the one on O'Reilly, which was that we could not determine how much of a rumor was. And I think that you're fine doing what you're doing because – I just kind of wanted to open up the perspective of your show tonight. Are we leading into World War III, or in fact, is this just a facade that's going on and bringing up the fact that you're talking about the 200 and some thousand or 700 some thousand people that died in Syria, and they're not telling you about over 3 million people that died in Vietnam and the 70,000 United States soldiers that died in Vietnam. Of course, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and they're talking about what happened in other countries, but they're not giving you anything on how we lost lives in America defending other countries that we walked away from. Yeah, it's, 
certainly on what they what they focus on. And, and what I've got here is, um, and then we'll we'll have commentary. And I do see other folks on the line. Just push the one on your number dial. Uh, but the, so we'll go uh, to her uh, her blog here. And again, it's the Granny Channel dot com. And uh, this is by Susan Stephan Kraft. And it says, who is President Bashir al-Assad? Again, she wrote this back to 2015, uh, but shared it with me, you know, because it's relevant to, you know, our topic today and what's been going on in the past week. It says, who is President Bashir, and, you know, gives us another perspective, as I said. Who is President Bashir al-Assad? For starters, he is well-groomed, handsome, intelligent, and the president of Syria. He started as a doctor in the Army as he had graduated from medical school in 1988. Four years later, he attended postgraduate studies specializing in ophthalmology at the Western Eye Hospital in London. He was never supposed to become the president of Syria, but because his brother was killed, he became president when his father died. This was in the year 2000. As someone who tried his hand at reforming his country, he brought the newspapers and he brought in newspapers and legalized satellite TV, which allowed Syrians to connect and become educated in the ways of the world. In fact, OnePlus is that Syria, before the war, was the most developed country in the Middle East and had better health care than the United States. President al-Assad began to see the flaws of the Syrian system, but by opening up Syria to the world, which had been a very close society, he perhaps didn't fully realize he was sowing his own demise. And perhaps that is partly why there is revolution today. In truth, the protests are for many reasons, but as far as the man himself, many Syrians have liked him very much. Truth of the matter is this. Hillary Clinton, as far back as March 2011, made the contrast between President al-Assad and his father. She remarked that U.S. lawmakers who recently have visit, visited Damascus regarded him as a reformer. She made the startling comment while explaining why the United States will not intervene on behalf of Syrian civilians revolting against the regime, and as it has done in the case of Libya. Oh, be careful, Mrs. Clinton, what you say, because the tune you were singing is so much different now. The people revolting against President al-Assad are Islamic radicals, for example, as a group ISIS, and they want an extremist Islamic state. Why do you think Assad is still in power three years after the war started? It's because the vast majority of Syrians are on his side. The Islamic radicals couldn't wait until 2014 and vote for the next president. They are terrorists, and the worst part is the USA is against Bashar al-Assad. President Obama and his administration have been flooding Syria with U.S. taxpayer funds and weapons. They have even tried using military force to get rid of Assad. Assad, in fact, would have probably been replaced with jihadist rulers, However, the public and Congress have been reluctant to get involved any deeper in the war in Syria. Our country has been supporting the rebels, and we are starting to see the results of it. Of course, I have no doubt that poison gas was used in Syria. 
but there is every reason to believe it was not used by the Syrian army, but by op- uh, opposition forces or rebels, many of whom are also known as ISIS. And remember, folks, this uh, article was written, and the date on this uh, was 12-9-2015, but it, it almost sounds like she's talking about uh, today. But it says, uh, but there's every, okay, and I said, this is done to provoke intervention by their powerful foreign patrons who have their own agenda are siding with the fundamentalists. President Assad has never before been accused of gassing citizens, and Carla De Ponte, who is a U.N. commissioner on Syria, has concluded that the rebels, not the President Assad, were probably responsible. June 16, 2013, testimony from a United Nations panel is reported to demonstrate that rebel groups, not the al-Assad regime, was responsible for the use of chemical weapons in general, sarin gas in particular. Many believe that some rebels received chemical weapons via the Saudi intelligence chief, Prince Badar bin Sultan. August 31st, 2013, the Associated Press via reporter Dale Gadlock reports in Mint Press News that first-hand accounts indicate that chemical weapons attack was a result of the rebels mishandling them. According to Gadlock, the weapons came from Saudi Arabia's Prince Bandar bin Sultan and were given to rebels who did not know that the weapons were or how to store them, nor were they trained how to use them and responsible for carrying out the gas attack. Also, on September 3rd, 2013, Yusuf Badowski was published on September 1st, and he implies that is very that is possible or even likely, based on a growing volume of new evidence, that the August 21st chemical attack was carried out by the rebels against themselves in order to push an agenda that would involve getting the U.S. to attack President al-Assad. Yes, indeed, the rebels know the U.S. is gullible to fall for this nonsense. Worse than this, however, is that Badansky makes the case for the likelihood that the Obama administration knew about the attack in advance. While Badansky's findings differ from those of Godlock, both seem to reach the conclusion that the rebels were the ones responsible for the attack. Add to that, fact that the Saudis are very interested in toppling Bashar al-Assad, and you have an interesting picture, plus the fact that many rebels have said that their salaries come from the Saudis. No shocker there, in my view. The U.S. wants to remove President Assad and has funded numerous radical jihadists. This was done in order to create what they call, what they say is a civil war in Syria after the U.S. was turned aside by its own mistake in offering Assad a chemical weapons deal, they had to carve out half of its radical terrorists in Syria and turn them into ISIS. Yes, we funded and started ISIS. Hard to believe, but our government under both parties has many times done the unthinkable. The purpose is so that the U.S. can claim that the other moderate rebels are worthy of continued direct support, and this would include air support if attacked. This is why it appears the U.S. is fighting ISIS, but in reality they evade targets that would really damage ISIS. 
empty buildings and lone pickup trucks, plus the individual may appear fine, but let's not destroy major weapon depots or conglomerations of heavy military equipment. There are various groups who are trying to overthrow Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. They have ample incentive to get the U.S. more deeply involved in support of that effort. Mitt Romney, the Republican choice for 2012, now I would say it wasn't a choice that he was coordinated, but anyway, I digress, choice of 2012, even criticized Obama for not cracking down on Bashar al-Assad. Anything to get a vote, right, Romney? Of course, Hillary, who ran against Obama for the Democrat nomination, who is running for 2016, has been trying to hit anyone and everyone she can to dump Assad for various reasons. Makes me wonder why both parties are for this move. Well, what goes on over there is none of our business anyhow, and if we stopped our infernal meddling, we would not be in this mess. Uh, and there's a picture, so go to the grannychannel.com, and it's uh, the name of the article. Uh, let's see if you can find it. Let me scroll up. Is Bashar al-Assad, president of Syria? And I think they have some archives there where you can go again at 12-9-2015. So there you can see the picture that she's referring to that I'm getting ready to read about. It says, above is the picture of a dinner at the Narenj restaurant in Old Damascus, according to SyrianHistory.com. This happened when Mr. Kerry visited Damascus in February 2009 when he chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. This is according to the SyrianHistory.com. Seated across the table are Senator Kerry, his wife Teresa, Heinz Kerry, and President Assad, Syrian First Lady Asma al-Assad's back is to the camera. In fact, he met with Mr. al-Assad at least six times, and the above happened in February 2009. Now, I said I would prove things about Kerry and his relationship with al-Assad. Here it is. Kerry was leading a delegation to Syria to discuss peace in the region at the time. According to French news, news agency AFP, President al-Assad told Kerry during that visit that America needed a proper understanding of issues Syria faces. This is quite reasonable. Mr. Kerry further stated at the press conference during the visit, President, President Barack Obama's administration considers Syria a key player in Washington's efforts to revive the stalled Middle East peace process. Syria is an essential player in bringing its peace and stability to the region. Kerry has met with President Bashar al-Assad on numerous occasions in 2011, praised the president as being a very generous man. This is according to the Weekly Standard. My, my, how things have changed in attitude towards al-Assad. It is a dangerous thing to piss off the United States when you are supposedly friends with them. Obviously, it doesn't matter if you did nothing wrong. If they want you to do something and you do not jump the way they want, then our government betrays that friendship. John Kerry is an idiot and a stooge to those who want to interfere for their many and varied reasons, but then again, many in our government are. Associated Press reporter Dale Gavlat reports in Mint Press News that first-hand accounts indicate that chemical weapons attack 
and the result of the rebels' mishandling of them. According to Gavlock, the weapons came from Saudi Arabia's Prince Valdar bin Sultan and were given to rebels who did not know what the weapons were or how to store them. They were trained or nor trained how to use them. As per in the article New American written in December 2013, estimates suggest that well over 100,000 Syrians have died in the war so far, with potentially millions of refugees fleeing to neighboring countries. According to the United Nations, which has been exploiting the crisis in Syria to justify its power grabs, while at least one of its refugee camps served as a haven for jihadists, both sides in the conflict have perpetrated war crimes. It appears that absent a negotiation deal, the bloodshed will continue regardless of how the alliances shift. And there's also a video on there where you guys can uh, see It says, on February 5th, 2014, it was reported that John McCain was on a rampage because he was determined to arm the opposition forces in Syria despite the very strong evidence that they were run by Islamic terrorists. He displayed behavior unbecoming of a United States senator during a meeting with Syrian Christian leader Tony Capitol Hill. The Christians from Syria had come all over here to report that the radical rebels were murdering and targeting them. They were also wondering why the West and the media were silent on this matter. Unfortunately, they ran into a buzzsaw as Senator McCain does not want anything to stop his pets from being armed. He proceeded to storm out of a closed-door meeting with the Syrian clergy officials last week. It was held in the Senate Arms Services Committee meeting room. Also there were Senators Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, all Democrats except Graham. According to a high-level source that was also at the meeting, McCain marched into the committee, <coughs> excuse me, folks, marched into the committee room yelling and then quickly stormed out. He was incredibly rude. The figures, McCain. Yeah. The source told Judicial Watch uh, because he didn't think the Syrian church leaders should even be allowed in the room. Following the tantrum, McCain re-entered the room and sat briefly, but he absolutely refused to make contact with the participants, instead ignoring them by looking down at what appeared to be random papers. What a rude person he is to have done that, and he shows his true colors. I have no respect for Senator McCain whatsoever. Uh, Senator Graham, also an advocate for U.S. military intervention in Syria, apologized for McCain's disturbing outburst because McCain's behavior was so disgraceful, and dare I say it, disturbing for a man who's been a senator for many years. Graham actually apologized to the group for McCain's behavior, according to the high-level source who sat through the entire meeting. It was truly unbelievable. He has figuratively spit in the faces of the Syrian Christians by this behavior, not caring that his pet rebels in Syria are killing these Christians and that they were here to ask for help. As long as, as, long as those with agendas can oust President al-Assad, they do not care who gets hurt, murdered, or tortured. They will lie and manipulate the happenings over there for their own agenda. In doing so, many will be put, if you believe these things, 
about President al-Assad from the frying pan into the fire. I personally want al-Assad to stay because I believe it will be the best for that country and their people. If they trust someone like John McCain and Obama to decide, they will be very sorry. They will wish they had Bashar al-Assad back in power. And so I want to thank everyone for listening to that whole article. And that, of course, was from our friend Susan. And, Kelly, I do see you on the line, and we will get you in. Uh, and then, well, let's take uh, some comments from yourself, Dr. Tolbert. Uh, but first, uh, we are running a little bit uh, behind here from the bottom of the hour. And as you know, it is time to hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And again, also remember, uh, we are also here at Bard's Logic uh, Political Talk. We are also uh, new members uh, as well uh, to there on Facebook, so uh, check uh, that out uh, as well. And, of course, you can do that by going to Facebook and going to the, uh, you know, where they have the little search engine there. And you can, you know, type it in, of course, as you do when you find Bars Logic Political Talk page. And, of course, I'm talking about looking for the American Liberty Radio Alliance, uh, which we are a proud member of as well. Uh, So check that out on Facebook. So let's go ahead and open up the mic for Kelly. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show, and then we'll get you back in. Dr. Tobin make comments on that article from our friend Susan. Go ahead, Kelly. Uh, how are you? Hey, still raining here in California. Lots of rain. Um, yeah. Well, let's see here. Um, would you like to hear a libertarian point of view on the whole everything with Syria, et cetera? Absolutely not. No, I'm just kidding, Kelly. Go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, well, the um, Harry Brown wrote a book called Liberty A to Z, and he has a lot of funny little punchlines. He'd probably say something like this. So, the country was bad, we bombed them. Well, who bombs the U.S. when we're bad? Um, <laughs> you know, um, that was my first thought when I heard about the Syria thing, and of course, for thank God that we warned the Russians ahead of time. Um, so their troops didn't get hurt. But, um, you know, we have this thing called the Constitution. You want to go to war, you go to Congress. What's Congress say? They listen to their constituents, they vote on it, and let's see. Oh, yeah, that's right, that happened. World War One, December 7th, 1941, bombing of Pearl Harbor. Roosevelt said it eloquently in a day that will live in infamy. Um, so on the 7th, we got bombed, and on the 8th, we declared war. Wait a minute, wait. On the 8th, we declared war on Japan? Yes. And then on the 9th, we declared war on Germany. So how long did that take? Oh, it's about 36 hours. How did Roosevelt do that? Well, of course, he probably called up the congressmen. He called up other people, whatever. Boom, let's get Congress together. Let's declare war. 
bam, they got it done. And it happens to be following the Constitution. So we, we have this Democrat that I didn't really like very well. He said on D-Day, and uh, told America what was going on, and he prayed at the end, God save our republic. So he got it right um, in several regards. So although I like Trump, I'm not too happy right now. Um, and then we go to the other questions. Well, who did it? Um, Russia, I've heard, is starting to come out with a default flag by the American people. There's a British um, former MP or ambassador. He was saying, I can't remember his name right now, um, it could be a false flag. Well, who did it? Well, you know, before we rush on to our tomahawks, maybe we ought to look at, uh, let's see, did the jihadis infiltrate um was Hassam's sorry, the leader's name again is uh, um anyway, the leader's name of Syria. Was there an infiltrator that just kind of stuck a few bombs on the planes? I mean we do know from satellite observation and drone observation that it was Syrian planes. Okay, so we got the Syrian planes. We got the chemicals on the ground or so they say. Okay, fine. But who put the who put those uh chemical bombs on there? Was it the Syrian army? Was it did the Russians know about it? Turned their back? Was it an infiltrator? Because um, if you're a radical Islam right now, you're real happy that Trump bombed the airbase. Um, so you know, all sorts of things. Why so much haste was convenient that um, Kim Jong Un had to wait for Trump for an hour in Key Largo in Florida. Very convenient. Oh, sorry to keep you waiting. And now we have national emergency. We just we just hit uh, Syria with uh, 59 missiles, and uh, so that's just rather you know a nice power play for the uh, Pacific versus what's going on the other side of the Atlantic. Rather interesting. Of course, one of the locals around here, redneck, he goes, "We only hit them with 59. Why didn't we hit the Muslims with 72 missiles?" Took me a while to get that one too. Seventy-two. Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, boy, I, I've heard too. Uh, Trump had a um, early show with some lady. Um, he expressed he's not going to be sending troops. Well, good. Only problem right, right now that's is how that. destabilize is, is Assad. How how destabilizes that country? Whose hands is it going to fall into? Have we made that country? more unstable for the radical Islams to come in? This is not an easy question. Over on our side of the Atlantic, it is. Get Congress together. Declare war. There you go, Trump. Go do it now. I, I don't... I, I just... Ah! When there's proper mechanisms and it doesn't take that long, why are we not doing this? Ugh. Anyway, I'll let somebody else talk. And so we'll go ahead and uh, bring it over to you. Uh, you. You've heard the article in its entirety. Do you have any comments you want to make on that, Dr. Tolbert? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to just go along with what he's saying and, and what the Susan was saying and how it all ties together is that we did that in Iraq and we lost Iraq to ISIS. We go into Syria and we do the same thing. We lose Syria to ISIS. The facade of the entire operation 
is the undermining factors of Russia and the United States working together in order to formulate what we discussed earlier, a means to shift the press from Russia and the United States being friends to that now we're back into the Cold War. If we go in with ground forces, if we continue what we're doing in Syria, we will lose Syria to ISIS. And we have to remember, Iran is behind Syria, as is Russia. And whether people like to believe it or not, Trump does not want to see the president of Syria taken out of position. I think we're going to find a shift in what we're doing when we come to the conclusion that what is taking place is not by the president of Syria, but it is by militant forces staging things that are not totally being presented correctly by the, goes back to the letter that Susan, that you read from her. I think we go back to that we're not looking at the big picture. We're only looking at the particles being presented by the press to, again, deceive us from what's truly happening in the world. So you would say, you you would say, go ahead, Kelly. Well, that's an excellent point about Russia, Cold War. Of course, uh, Trump got lucky because maybe all those um, claims that the Russians hacked the election for Trump, I think they're pretty much dying out now. Um, yeah, dude. I, well, T- Tillerman was, <clears throat> he's Secretary of State. He was at, um, in Russia, and I don't know, well, initially, uh, Putin wasn't willing to talk to him. I don't know if that's changed in the last day or two, but, uh, this is a problem. Russia's, the, Russia doesn't want, doesn't like Muslims, don't want them to come into their country. It was a supported Assad. He's apparently a uh, peaceful uh, Muslim, more secular actually, but there are not just one fraction, but there's multiple fractions um, of different Middle Eastern interests and, and different Muslim fractions, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, Putin has a goal to protect his country. Um, and are we helping that or are we hindering that? Or there's other hints that we were funding ISIS to, to to overthrow Assad. It's like what what do we even know what our go- government is, is is doing? It's official and then it's unofficial position. It's really frustrating. Can any, anybody tell me the details? And I just I I don't think it was very prudent for Trump to jump that quickly at what he did. I think you got to go back to did he do it because it shifted the press from talking about his relationship and how great he was getting along with Putin and by going and doing something that Russia could be against the United States, he formed a press that's going to say, oh, gee, we're sorry Trump and Putin doesn't get along. So this was just a staged event in order to defer the press and to change the media and now we're not worried about them anymore. 
because, you know, we can't talk about it. Uh, I, I think you got to go back to the fact that a Muslim is not all about the Islam. And you have to ask yourself, is the president of Syria a supporter of Islam or is he a supporter of Muslims? There's a difference between the two. It's kind of like, why should we let anyone that believes in Islam into the United States? Well, that would be the same thing with Russia. Why would you want anybody who believed in Islam in Russia? You don't, because it is a disruption from your own constitution, because they do not agree with. So if the people that are trying to take over Syria are true believers of Islam, which the president of Syria is not a true believer of all of the articles of Islam, or he would not have allowed the changes to his country to take place. So we can put a draw a line that he is shifting from the Islam direct total belief to more of a Muslim group of individuals that are not qualified or classified under the laws of Islam. That is the big difference. And that is where we have to say there are countries in Japan and Korea that you cannot be an Islam and come or a Muslim to come into the country. You cannot do it in Russia. Uh, people don't realize it's your highest population of Jewish people in the world is in Russia. Uh, maybe that's another good reason why you don't want uh, Muslims there. So there's a lot of underlying factors that people aren't seeing. You know, do you understand Islam? Do you understand the laws of Islam? If you understand the laws of Islam, why isn't the president of Syria following the laws of Islam? He's not. So well, he's a secular government. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to form a government that is not under the laws of Islam, but has its own constitution and powers. Right. That's and there's been hints, too, by top government officials here in the U.S. saying Assad's got to go. Well, right now his country is a mess because there's too many fa- factions fighting each other. And he's having to get um, uh, paid mercenaries from Iraq and Iran. This is not. This is a mess. Absolute mess. Yeah, and and, and that goes back into the fact that, you know, you're talking about the reports of young people being killed and people dying and people escaping and how much of this is caused by the president of Syria and not, in fact, caused by ISIS. And why are well, we allowing ISIS to do this? Right. Well, he's having trouble getting his own people to fight for him. That's why he's got to get these mercenaries. I mean, the, the country's a mess. Um, you know, that's Ron what Moses, Paul. But, that's what yeah, Moses Ron, said when he was there. <laughs> Ron, Ron Paul's not a fan of doing what's happening. Rand Paul's come out, too. He's not too much in favor. It even... Even Alex Jones is kind of double-minded about, well, this and that, and then this and that, and you're like, and Paul Joseph Watson, who's a British guy, he's totally uh, against what Trump did. And it's interesting that, that Infowars allows such varying debates and varying opinions on this. It's rather interesting. Yeah, yeah. and let's go back. To, is, was it constitutionally correct what Trump did? Could he, as the executive branch, send in military forces, and do what he did. And under the Constitution, it says that the President of the United States, if aggressiveness was taken against an ally or the United States, 
the president could do what he did, and then the Congress, within 90 days, would have to fund or declare war on those individuals. So now well, I, we get into the War Powers the Act does allow some some powers. Well, did he don't did he have the power because there was no action taken against Americans? And his comment is, well, we had American forces on the ground that could have been subject to the gas attack, and for that reason, I can use the executive uh, branch's power to send in the 59 cruise missiles. That was his only comment to justify his act as the executive or the commander-in-chief, is we had ground forces there who could have died from that, and therefore I had the right as president to do it. Ground civilians or ground forces? Well, you know, there are still ground forces there. You can call them what you want. I know people are well, there that are, are, are military people wearing civilian clothing. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you got three types of Americans over there. Well, actually, four. You got possibly. I, I don't know. I'm not going to say that we have troops on the ground there yet. So that's one category: is regular GI, Army, military. The other is the uh, like CAA, CIA ops. Another one is paid mercenaries that are Americans, and the others could be tourists or um, do-gooders, if you will, like missionaries, etc., or just tourists. Um, so you have four types of Americans. Well, if there's a national security interest for the other three other than tourists, then why were they there in the first place? I try to wrap around my head. Well, and I've been trying to wrap my, you know, around my head past couple, you know, or, or since the, uh, you know, the bombing there or the, or the sarin gas there. You know, I was trying to think, why would you do this? I mean, why would uh, – why would a you know why would Assad bomb these you know, these people with the well you know with the rice and gas? I mean I I can't wrap my head about why what was the purpose? I mean what if he is fighting against you know well he is fighting against trouble but what I mean what purpose uh, to advance what he's trying to do right dropping those type of chemical weapons you know on on those people because through my understanding. I mean, I didn't hear any type of report of there being like rebels in the area that it was bombed or any troops or anything. That I mean, did, did we hear why? I mean, I haven't heard anything why Assad decided to bomb those people if indeed he truly did. You know, with the with well, the with the, be, with the sarin gas. What was the purpose well, of the be, attack? Right, right. Well, another thing with motive with Assad was he was basically given the green light to keep his government. Before this, he only had like I don't know a month or so to wait. It would go against his best interest to do this, so it's possible there was a rogue element, a rogue agent, or an infiltrator that loaded those bombs on those planes, uh, regular explosives when they were chemical bombs. We we don't know. We don't know what happened. Do we actually know that they were bombs? Because there's been several reports to say they were not, but they were actually explosives that took place on the ground. That may not have had anything to do with the airplane. Correct. Yeah. Well, they did have um, is either drone or satellite images of the planes, so maybe there's people on the ground that had like it's a Daigel drone. I don't know. And as the planes came over, they blew them up, making it look like they came from the planes. I mean, there's and always that, a chance of, right. of a false witness or a malicious witness or a setup or a frame job. Um, I, I think Trump asked. 
at the least, Trump acted too hastily. But then you take the other side of the issue, if in fact it happened, and if the President of the United States reacted according to the Constitution, did we then put the rest of the world on notice if you screw with Americans or our allies, we're going to intervene immediately. We're not going to wait five years like Obama did. So would that be another side of the story? Oh, yeah, that's, uh, well, yeah, yes, that certainly is a side of the story. You put the rest of the world on notice. I mean, you know, such as Iran. So, and I won't even say China so much, uh, but such as Iran. I mean, we haven't really talked much about that. We actually are, are losing time with this uh, this segment. I mean, you know, with the organic nature of the show, I mean, we can move into the next the next segment with, you know, still you know, talk on this topic and then just carry over our next topic to into the third hour. Uh, but you know, anyway, so yeah, that's certainly that that that's one of the the, the, the possibilities. Uh, you, you know, is to take you know, I say, hey, look, you know, new, a new sheriff's in town, so to speak. You know, we're not going to, you know, if you're going to do so. Let, well, and I think he wants to show that he was different from a but let, Let's take everything at its word, and, and, you know, there's nothing lying underneath, and it's pretty much just the surface, which I don't know if that's uh, the case, but let's presume that it is. And, and maybe, indeed, it is to say that, yeah, get put the rest of the world on notice, such as Iran, which we haven't talked much about, such as North Korea now, you know, they're, they're saber-rattling. There's really not much at this point. They can do, but I mean they're working on it. I mean that's why, you know, you know, the Trump has these. Uh, I think he's got these carriers or warships that are that are moving closer to uh, to North Korea. Uh, so it, it may be just what it is, appears to be on the surface of why Trump did it to put the rest in. They said, look, you know, for eight years we had Obama in there who who you know said if they do cross this red line. Then you know, basically we're going to get you. Well, he didn't obviously. I mean, he didn't do anything well, when did, the, did, the first act. attack. Well, if yeah, it was indeed did. an attack by him. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not defending Obama here, but his working with the Russians in Syria, they did destroy like several million pounds of uh, dangerous chemical gas. A couple things I wanted to point out too. And then let me let me let me um, backtrack just a little bit, Kelly. Kelly, real quick. And let me just backtrack just a little. And this has always been my theory, you, you, you know, because everyone was like, well, where, where did these chemical weapons come from? You know where I think these wep- chemical weapons came from originally? I think these I chemical read. weapons, and this, and this is even back from the first, the, the, the first attack when Obama, uh, in the, during the Obama administration, the first chemical attack. I think these, I think these uh, chemical weapons came from Iraq because I still think, that there were indeed chemical weapons. They were calling them weapons of mass destruction. I'm telling you, I think that there were, in Iraq, chemical weapons, but we debated so long about going into Iraq for such a long time that gave them ample time to move those chemical weapons. And I think what they did is they took those chemical weapons, and they moved them over to Syria. So by the time we finally did attack Iraq, and then we went in, those chemical weapons were gone because we waited, what, 16 months? We debated for 16 months. And, and Iraq knew it was coming. You know, they, knew the, they knew an attack was coming, but they, they had plenty of time to get rid of the, uh, I, I think, they had plenty of time to get rid of the, 
you know, those chemical weapons, and I think they went to Syria, and I'm seeing those same weapons being used today. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, yeah, that's – anyway, yeah, they may have shipped them over from Iraq to Syria in 16 months. So a couple things I wanted to point out. Um, you might want to look up a pipeline. Well, yeah, and I do Iraq. see Naj on the line. Naj, if you're ready to come in, just push the one number, and I'll get you in. Go ahead, Kelly. So another thing that's just kind of an interesting side note is there's a pipeline from Iraq through Syria, through Syria into Europe. A lot of money involved there, so that's an interesting. Keep your eye on that one. And then the other thing is, okay, so we bomb another country because they're bad. Who bombs us when we're bad? Well, okay, because we can get away with it. We're, we're superpower. Well, you know what? We're not that strong. If you look at World War II, well, World War One too. It was the Germans, and then it was the French, and the British, and the Americans. Uh, uh, smallpox uh, went through Germany, and they had to sue for peace because they couldn't, well, the war machine anyway. So it wasn't us to beat them in World War One as a team effort. World War Two. Okay, so let's see. The British, the Lancasters, our B-24s and B-17s were bombing uh, the Germans. We were in the daylight, the British at night. And in the meantime, the Russians were coming from the east. We didn't beat Germany by ourselves. We didn't beat Japan by ourselves either. We had Australia. We had Canada. We had Great Britain. We had even Scotland was in Japan. So we're not as strong as we think we are. And we're making more enemies than we can kill, as one congressman said. It's it's just – got to be careful. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and the answer to that is if you don't defend your allies, you have no allies. And that is where we're at now, that we do not have a military force that is strong enough to defend anybody, let alone our own country. We have the smallest army that we've had in history, and and that there is only corruption in our commanding generals based on who Obama took out of office. And one of the first things that Trump has to relook at, and we've sent him letters on, is how to rebuild our armed forces and our ground forces, and not only to look at it from a strategic, how do we send a missile? We lost Iraq because we did not have ground forces. And we will lose every conflict that we get involved with if we cannot put boots on the ground. And I... I'm not going to defend any general or go against any general, but the strategic ability to bring soldiers and move a million troops within 48 hours. You know, I'm a 22-year service member, retired master sergeant. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I'm a plans officer. And I know there's only one way to establish, hold, and control. If you screw with the United States, we're coming after you. Did Trump say you screwed with the United States and we came after you, and now we're going to tell all the other countries, and will he, in fact, rebuild the ground forces that we can hold the positions should we have to go into a country? Well, it's not only the ground. It's going to be the air, too. And I've got this next article, and then I'm going to get uh, nausea in uh, because you know, nausea can make comments on that and in this article I've got. Is that, and you know what? Of uh, 
Mikey interests and I would almost dare say passions. Um, it, it probably is, you know, of course, with our space program, uh, but also, you know, anything that has to do with space. And this this is nearly as long as a, a, an article that you did earlier. Uh, and still, I, I think there was a lot of information in there that I, did, I just didn't want to skip over any. Uh, and that was the one, of course, by Susan. And this one, you, and both these articles, both the one by Susan and this one, you can find on the Bard's Logic Political Talk page there on Facebook. And if you haven't uh, visited there and liked the page already, get over there and do it now. No. But uh, <laughs> And also you can check out the uh, Bard's Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com uh, where you can uh, do a couple things. One, we do have our uh, Bard's Logic newsroom. Uh, but also, if you're a Twitter user, you can follow me, the host, uh, there on Twitter. And then also, uh, you can actually tweet out the link for tonight's show. Uh, so you can use that, and that would be a way of uh, you know, getting the program out to people, and I really appreciate it. As well as uh, through email on the contact pay, uh, portal, I do have uh, the description of the night's show, as well as the link there where you can copy and paste uh, that. You have the title and everything else in there, uh, and you can copy and paste it to your emails and, and send it out to people with the link uh, so that they can listen to uh, the show too and, you know, spark an interest in them and that they can call in and be a part of our, be a part of our roundtable discussion uh, as well. Because, you know, a lot of what we've talked about tonight, you know, from you, Kelly, from, uh, you know, you, Dr. Tolbert, is let's be honest, we, we, I bet there's a, a bunch of us on here on the line and, and listening live and also listening to the podcast. You know, we probably listen to talk radio. We watch the news station probably more than we watch anything else on TV or listen to on the radio. But there's a lot of things that we're talking about here tonight and on subsequent shows, I mean, or previous shows, I should say, where people probably haven't heard of or even, you know, you know, the topics are even heard discussed. So definitely we have things here that, you know, we don't hear people talking a lot about. So that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I think it's important to – to get these shows, uh, these episodes out so they can hear it as well. And, and this part, again, you can find uh, this article uh, on the Bard's Logic uh, Political Talk page there on Facebook. Uh, you know how to find pages there on Facebook. You just type in the title name uh, to the search engine. <laughs> Boom, there you go. And then I want to get uh, uh, your take on what we talked about, Nosh, and also uh, on this article. And John, I see John online as well. If you'd like to chime in, uh, we'll get you into this one. Uh, it says, space arms race as Russia-China emerge as rapidly growing threats to the United States. And this was uh, this year, Wednesday uh, the 29th, and this is on uh, CNBC.com. Uh, and so it says, U.S. Now, you talk about ground troops. We also need to look uh, because of technology in the air, too. And I'm not just talking about the air. I'm talking the stratosphere and beyond outside our uh, our atmosphere as well. Because it says U.S. satellites may be vulnerable to attacks that could make our whole way of fighting more riskier, according to experts. Every major space-faring nation that can track a satellite and launch it into outer space has the means to mess up a satellite, said Michael Preppen, a space security expert, and co-founder of the Stinson Center think tank in Washington, D.C. A space arms race, arms race of sorts is underway with weapons under the development or the arsenals of China, Russia, and the United States space weapons, including satellite jammers, lasers, and high-powered microwave gun systems. 
My guess is that our capabilities to carry out war in space are a lot better than the Chinese and Russians, said Kreppen. According to analysts, space weapons could be used to compromise navigation, surveillance, communications, and other functions in a wartime scenario or a national emergency. Our military space systems are critical to the way we fight war today, said Todd Harrison, director of the Aerospace Security Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a Washington-based think tank. The U.S. uses satellite technology and advanced weapon systems aboard aircraft and warships to carry out precision strike capabilities, much like what we've seen with the Tomahawk missiles uh, recently in Syria. And the, the, those were precision strikes. It says, at the same time, infrared satellite uh, provide key intelligence systems used as part of the early warning system to track and detect nuclear warheads and other threats to the homeland. Not surprisingly, nations are now actively testing methods to deny us continued use of space surveillance during conf- space services during conflicts, said retired Air Force General William Shelton, the former commander of the U.S. Air Force Space Command. In testimony Wednesday to the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Strategic Forces, the subcommittee heard about the role space-based capabilities play in emergencies and the threats to U.S. space systems. Experts say the biggest threats seen today are non-kinetic threats, such as jamming of satellite-based capabilities, such as GPS and communications. And the threat isn't limited to space-faring countries, since the satellite jamming technology is relatively inexpensive. North Korea has previously used ground jammers impacting both military and civilian aircraft and ships. Harrison said there's evidence that insurgents in Afghanistan and Iraq also have used jamming. As for lasers, they can blind uh, imagery satellites and high-powered microwave guns could could knock out circuitry on targeted satellites. Some have speculated the U.S. Air Force might be using the Boeing-built X-37B unmanned space, uh, unmanned military space plane to test space weapons. The military has always denied the small robotic craft as a kind of space weapon. Boeing declined comment for the story and referred questions to the Air Force. The primary objectives of the X-37B are twofold. Reusable spacecraft technologies for America's future in space and operating experiments, which can be turned into and examined on Earth, said an Air Force spokesperson. And then let's see. Okay. And we'll scroll down somewhere. It talks about the, the other countries. It says, we took uh, – try to scroll down. Thank you. So last week, maybe Vice Admiral Charles Richard, a deputy commander of U.S. Strategic Command, warned in a speech – at the CSIS Space Security Conference about offensive space capabilities and weapons being developed by China and Russia. While we're not at war in space, I don't think we can say we are exactly at peace either, the Admiral said. With rapidly growing threats to our space system, as well as the threat of our degraded space environment, we must prepare for a conflict that ends into space. 
analysts say after the Soviet Union crumbled and a weakened Russian em- Russia emerged, there was a view that the U.S. didn't have to worry about an adversary knocking out satellites. We took it for granted that we took it for granted and kind of ignored the vulnerabilities that Harrison. Through the 2000s, we started to realize that this might be an issue. Russia has sent micro-satellites into space and covertly maneuvered a small space, spacecraft close to commercial satellites. Experts believe the small satellites could be used for kamikaze-type missions to ram into satellites or to snoop on it for data collection or jamming to interfere with its capabilities. As for China, a decade ago, the communist nation tested an anti-satellite missile and destroyed one of their weather satellites, a move criticized because of the debris field created in space. China also is moving ahead into manned spacecraft technologies, as well as lunar and Mars exploration missions. China has showed the whole world that it can do something about our space capabilities, said Harrison. The Russians have pretty advanced space capabilities as well. Some of the U.S. military's newer satellites are designed to overcome enemy jamming and withstand other potential offensive attacks or actions. Even so, some of the technologies that allow micro-satellites to attach to other satellites is still believed to be capable of rendering targets useless. Threats to our use of military, civil, and commercial space systems will increase in the next few years as Russia and China progress in developing counter space weapon systems to deny, degrade, or disrupt U.S. space systems. According to the Worldwide Threat Assessment of the U.S. Intelligence Community report last February by the then Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper. Clapper said in the 2016 report that Russian defense officials acknowledge they have developed or they have deployed radar imagery jammers and are developing laser weapons designed to blind U.S. intelligence and ballistic missile defense systems satellites. Russia and China continue to pursue weapon system capabilities of destroying satellites on orbit, placing U.S. satellites at greater risk in the next few years. It says, on the way, or one way, Harrison suggests that the U.S. can reduce vulnerability of some sensitive satellite systems is to build more of them to make the system more resilient and less vulnerable to attack. Then he gives an example. He says, uh, let's scroll down. Okay. This says, countering the argument of so the U.S. government is diversifying through information sharing by reaching out to utilize this tremendous surge of commercial capability. And then it just keeps going on, you know, just a couple more paragraphs. But anyway, so, you know, so we talked about building up our military, you know, and we talked a lot about ships and, and on the ground. But, again, you know it's a passion of mine. A lot of people, I think, seem to ignore it, but it's for exploration. And, unfortunately, now for uh, the Senate, remember, folks, this isn't something that is new. Remember the Star Wars program by Ronald Reagan that ended up getting nixed. Makes you wonder. But anyway, let's go ahead and bring in Naj, uh, and then we'll get in comments, of course, uh, from you, Kelly, and Dr. Colbert. But thank you very much, Naj, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Hi to the rest of the people on the show. Uh, 
It's interesting that you brought up Star Wars, though, because there's a book out now about DARPA, and uh, they really kind of go into that situation. They were working on a particle accelerator laser uh, to destroy things, uh, missiles or any other attack. And, you know, it was something that they they saw as well, this is way looking into the future. We're really not even close to being able to pull this off. So they were surprised when they got the Star Wars budget and Reagan kind of overstated what they were capable of doing. So it never really came into fruition because the tech was, you know, they, they were they just made a promise that they were too far away from. So that that's why Star Wars kind of went the way it went. It was just a thing of. Uh, people just speaking way too quickly on something that they they had a long way to go. Uh, the, the article you you were talking about, man, they could have wrote that article 30 years ago, man. I mean, the same dynamic exists. Whoever gets to space first and militarizes it has a strategic advantage for a short period of time uh, until everybody catches up. You can kind of compare it to nuclear arms. When we were the first with nukes, we were able to, you know, push people around a little bit. And whoever gets there first is going to do the same thing. And that little gap of time where you're there and everybody else is still trying to catch up to make leaps as a country uh, because of that advantage. So, you know, whoever gets there, you know, it's really going to pay off substantially. You're going to be able to dictate certain things to the world. And the idea of international law in space, you're going to be the ones most likely uh, writing that and determining how international law and space is going to be determined, uh, opposed to you know as opposed to what they look at now, like the thing that China did that you uh, described, where they blew up the satellite. Man, they they got space junk that's damn near like a almost like a belt around the Earth uh, as far as how much debris they left up there. So, you know, stuff like that can't be done. There has to be some kind of governing body, and and this is actually how we're going to get there through militarizing the space. Uh, space period. So we'll see who gets there first. But as far as us and the military, I mean, we spend more than the next seven top nations combined. So it's not a thing of having the resources. It's a thing of realizing that public relations matter now. So since we're this behemoth on the world stage and, you know, media is everywhere, we can't be seen beating the hell out of some weakling country. So that's why they can't do the boots on the ground like they want to when they know they could just put boots on the ground and win easily, as the, as the gentleman was saying. So they got the difficulty of trying to use tech and not put people at risk because the wars are so unpopular now because we don't get these World War II moments to where it's like it's obvious. Hitler is this. We're going to stop, you know, Nazism, and everybody's behind it, and you got, you know, 100% nationalism and patriotism uh, you know, pushing you forward. We don't have those type of wars. We typically have to be kind of poked and prodded in the wars now <laughs> because, you know, some of the reasons are so specious. So that that's the difficulty there, man. You got to fight the opponent while also not being too brutal. So it would be like Mike Tyson only using jabs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and the thing is, is yeah, and, and you don't go in to actually win the war. I mean, if we would actually go in to win a war, is, and, and that's what people thought about Trump is, you know what? He's going to go in and actually win the war, and we're finally going to get rid of ISIS because he's going to go in there and, and maybe be brutal like we have to be in war. And as Dr. Tolbert pointed out, is maybe this show of force, and this, of course, is what being, you know, Propagated there. Was, well, you know, well a lot after of he does network. that, then somebody has to tell him. Then we lose the budget for the war on terror. So calm down, buddy. We might not want to 
kill him, we might just want to push him somewhere else for a while. Let him pop up again and then fight him again. But uh, <laughs> got a budget to protect here, buddy. <laughs> and I was I was doing I was doing a study today on the difference of the amount of people that died in Syria versus Vietnam, and one of the statistical data that was given was that at the time of the Vietnam War, the, the African-American population was 11%, but the actual troops on the ground in Vietnam that were African-American was 41%, and there was a greater number of African-Americans killed in Vietnam than in any other time or conflict. And yet today we are not recognizing our veterans or are we doing anything for anyone uh, in our military? And we keep writing articles on the VA and, and what to do mm-hmm. and how to, and, you know, but I thought it was not coincidental that as I was doing my studying today that I came up with a profile that the American people don't even recognize that in every conflict, to include the Second World War, that our brothers as African-Americans fought and died more than any other population by percentages. And I think that we're going into what we're doing next in America with our ground forces and how we're doing things that we're really not looking at the proper way to go into things. I, as one, do not believe that a going into the way we went into Iraq with bombing, not destroying nothing, troops moving quickly through without actually searching and destroying, accomplished anything other than allowing ISIS to take over Iraq. I really believe. Yeah, I think the last we, real successful war is uh, it was Desert Storm, in my opinion. Yeah, but again, you know, we allowed things to take place and happen even during Desert Storm. Uh, We put the boots on the ground. We did a greater accomplishment. We pushed everybody aside. And then we decided, well, you know, we needed to change our tactics. We allowed other things to happen. Um, Without soldiers, you're not going to, you know, you've got to have an armed forces. We can talk all day long about sending mortar rounds, sending rockets. We can talk about satellites. We can spend all day long talking about this stuff. When you have to go into and take over a country, you have to make sure that the products, the bombs, the guns, the chemicals are all destroyed. You cannot do that from satellite, from missiles, and from bombing. We either go into Syria and remove ISIS or we remove ourselves from Syria. It's one or the other. If the president does not get the support of Congress, to get the funding to go into Syria, he needs to back away and just walk away from it completely. Well, I mean, that's what he campaigned on, and I think that would be the best thing for him. I think no matter what, once you get bogged down in these things, it becomes your issue. Now it's attached to your name. Now it's your problem, and you can't solve it for the reasons that the gentleman just stated, because we have to fight these wars in this weird way that we were just talking about. And, like, I'm, I'm not qualified to talk about the things that he's talking about as far as strategy and how you do it and all of that. But, man, it, it, it is a crazy situation when you think about it, that you're going to war with someone, but you don't want to destroy the infrastructure and everything else because you want to prop somebody up as the new leader and kind of have things take off as normalized because you don't want the state to fail 
and and be able to leave. And, and it's like those two components we're never able to pull off, keeping the state upright and then having a clean, uh, you know, <laughs> pull out afterwards. You know what I always wondered is, you know, they they, they say this all the time, okay? And we're, and we're supposed to have, you know, and I don't know when we do, I'm sure. You know, we have the best, uh, you know, we have the best special forces in the world. You know, uh, the, the, the Israelis may come close, maybe even in some instances beat us, because those guys are at war all the time. So, you know, they constantly got to be honing their skills. But, you know, the thing I always thought, you know, the only thing I always, always thought was interesting was that you got these two countries, right, you know, one, one or the other, and, you know, all these people are getting killed and this and that. And, and one of the main things is, well, you know, maybe if you got rid of the leader then and get a different leader in there or what we call regime change now, right, uh, it's like, well, instead of doing all this, you know, all this, you know, killing all these hundreds and thousands and destroying all this stuff and wasting all this money, why, you know, and I think, and I guess, I think this is because it's against the Geneva Convention, but just send in an assassin. Why don't we, why aren't we just sending in an assassin and say, okay, we want a regime change. And say, like we want, like, perfect example, Saddam Hussein. We want it to, uh, Saddam Hussein removed. So what we do is we go shock and all. We blow all this stuff up. We, you know, to, you know blow, blow things up, kill a bunch of people, this and that. And finally we get him, you know, in a hole somewhere, right? And but uh, but we've killed all these people, spent all this treasure, you know, destroyed all this stuff, and it could have all been over by saying, "Well, okay, we're going to send a team of assassins in," but you can't do it because it's illegal. I always thought thought it was ironic, like, okay, we can kill thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, but yet we can't assassinate one leader. Wouldn't it make more sense to do that? I mean, if you're going to have war, which I'm not for, oh, that rhymed. But anyway. Is wouldn't it be more efficient if you want to have a regime change or think, okay, if we change this leader, all we do is just assassinate. Because remember, we tried to assassinate Hitler how many times it failed, but we tried to. But now it's like you can't do that anymore. You can't try to assassinate a leader, but you can kill a bunch of the people that surround him. Yeah, can I just well, add to the fact it's oh, called go ahead. shelf life? Yeah, this is Dr. Tolbert. It's called shelf life. If I have 59 missiles that are getting ready to expire – because they, the, the ammunition has set too long, and I can send the 59 missiles in and blow nothing up, then I can build 59 more missiles, and that productivity goes back into the major corporations that are making money off of the war, whereas if I assassinated the guy, the corporations don't make any money. <laughs> that's a shame. That's a scary uh, yeah, point. I, I, I <clears throat> Oh, can, can yeah, I, I can see that. Real quick? Well, the the, the oh, military go complex. Yeah, get, go ahead. Yeah, the other point to that yeah, is no. uh, sometimes sometimes what's worse is behind the the dictator door. So you knock the dictator off, and now you got something worse. So with Saddam, uh, first go, go, Gulf Coast War, they determined. They said, look, if you push this guy out, this is a house of cards. It's gonna fall, and the secretary and violence and craziness, and you won't have a, a stable state. And they were correct because second Gulf War, I mean, second uh, Iraq War, that's what we did. We knocked Saddam off, and now Iraq is a mess. So those guys really read the tea leaves on that. And you look at now, after they knocked Saddam off, they actually told the Ba'ath Party they couldn't run uh, as far as being politicians. So what do we end up doing? Right. We end up fighting them as ISIS members. <laughs> so, I mean, you can knock the guy off, but sometimes it gets worse. 
No, and that's exactly correct, and that's the problem. Do we have the right or the authority to tell a country that they have to change their president? What if all the nations came into America and started that same conflict against our president because he was not capable of running our country the way the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, and everybody else. So they came in and they assassinated or they went against the American president. Do we have the right to go into a country and tell that country that they need a new president? What gave us that authority? And the answer, nothing gives us that authority. So why are we even there? That, that's really the question. We're not there because of the fact that there was a multitude of people being killed by the, the president of Syria. They were being killed by ISIS trying to take over the country and to assassinate and get rid of the president of Syria. So there's more to this battle than people really see on the surface. And another thing, Robert, if I get a couple minutes, I would like to, to bring up the synopsis of 10 minutes of what Easter stands for since it's Sunday and how we just came from Passover and what the words and how they would drive from. If you'd give me an opportunity, you know, I'm also a master's in theology and a pastor. So if I could get a couple minutes, I'd like to bring that in sometime. Well, tell you what, here, 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 here's how we'll do it. As we do have our, our second topic uh, tonight, second discussion. And I think you could tie all that in. And, but first, we've got John in the line. He wants to make some comments on, you know, our, you know, our topic here. And then what we'll do is move move on, uh, you know, to talk about uh, President Trump talking about repealing uh, the Johnson Amendment. And what I'd like uh, two things for you to do then, Dr. Colbert, is one is I'm sure you're very familiar with the Johnson Amendment. So for those who of us, uh, you know, on the call, and I've I've done some research read up, but I, I feel like you'd be more uh, authoritative. Uh, you know, person to, to you know tell us more what the uh, the Johnson Amendment is, is what it is, uh, what what entails of being a you know if it does get repealed, and then I think that'd be a good tie-in to what you want to talk about with Easter. But let's go ahead and first bring in John. Uh, thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Blog Talk Radio. This is the Bard's Logic Political Talk Radio Show. Don't forget, within the next 30 minutes, you call in in order to at least listen to the last hour of the show. You know, this is a three-hour show. We're just about an hour and a half into it. Within the next 30 minutes, call 347-945-7428, and you can at least listen to the last hour of the show. And... Once you're listening, if you like to actually chime in, press 1 on your number dial, and our host, Robert, will surely serve you and help you get in, be in part of the show and bring your knowledge and talent to this show. Now, as far as all this stuff, I'm curious, has ever anybody looked at the world economy from a financial standpoint to, are we going to be able to solidify the dollar enough to support all this stuff because it looks to me like with all the other economies, there's probably enough money in the system if it's going to be divvied out in a certain way. But are the people in power that have their lock on that for some reason, are they going to willingly be will or you know want to deal with it, or are we going to collapse the dollar and make it even a, a worse situation? I'm not sure. Back to you, Robert. 
Well, well, you just threw a can of words uh, to the works there, John. <laughs> Thank you for uh, uh, for the promo. I appreciate it. Um, well, let's. Uh, well, Nas, you wanna you wanna try to tackle that? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Are you yeah. Kelly? Uh, yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, the dollar will be fine. Uh, when you talk about decline of America and, and decline of the economy, we're talking about in terms relative to what it used to be. We're not talking about what what should be considered normal. Uh, we're talking about one of the biggest economies on the, on the globe. Us and China kind of go neck and neck as far as uh, having the most GDP. And the dollar is solidified by the military. Like, I hate to say it like that, but point blank, period. When you're the biggest guy on the block, uh, your dollar is fine. So as long as people are still taking dollars into their central banks, as long as China and these other countries are still buying our bonds during our downturns uh, economically, then we're fine. So the dollar won't be the reason that the U.S. collapses. Uh, bad policy, bad wars, things like that could lead to us uh, starting to decline, but we're a long way off. Uh, like, if, if we were to fall, you're talking about a hundred years or so. Like you're talking about a long time for it to actually happen. It'll be a slow decline and collapse, but we're a long way off from that. Uh, I would say check out a book called Austerity. That's out right now. It's pretty good. It talks about the austerity policies of the last 30 years. Money is still being made here. It's just where the money goes, meaning to the top 15% of, uh, of the population, as opposed to, wages and most workers and normal working class folks it's yeah, disappearing from that class to the upper upper class but the money is still here it, it just has to be uh i guess fashioned in a way that it used to back in the day where you know it was a little more spread out a little more prosperity across the board remember we're not on the gold standard anymore and we can't eat gold well there's not enough gold to go stuff. around just, uh, for all the money that's out there <laughs> And yeah, world economies are too big for the gold standard now, though. That's the other part of this. Like when you start talking, so, okay, let's let's take Bill take Bill Gates's money. How would you actually do that in gold? You see but what I mean? How value? What holds it up? What's the foundation of what holds up the value of the dollar? That's the question. That see, John, you don't make me sound like a leftist nutter when I say the military. I hate to say it, but the military. <laughs> It's worth this because we say so to a certain extent and because other yeah, nations feel secure investing in American bonds and American securities and American companies because they know the, the country is stable. So that's well, why the money is not flushing into Europe. It's flushing over here because they always know the U.S. Hey, nice. Nice. I yes. think you have a really good point there. If we really think back, our um, your statement was that our dollar is backed by the military. Well, actually, we are OPEC dollars, okay, and that's going to change soon, and it's not going to be fun here. OPEC dollars, basically the Middle Eastern countries, Saudi Arabia mostly, and others, we promised them military protection if the OPEC nations would trade their oil for only, only in U.S. dollars. So our dollar is backed by oil, which is backed by the military, so I, I never put that together the way you did. I thought that was quite the observation. China, the BRIC Treaty, other countries are working on a gold-based standard. And if the Middle Eastern countries, which we keep messing with, the Middle Eastern countries say, hey, I like this gold standard BRIC Treaty dollar, uh, we could economically have a disaster here in this country. So I, I compliment you on your observation there, Naj. 
Hey, thanks, man. I'm just giving the work that I've read from other people and just some of my other concepts. So it ain't, you know, you know how it goes. All of us do the same thing. We read, try to learn, and, and figure other things out. But don't forget the Saudis and all those other groups over there, they invest over here. Most of the Saudi family uh, money was in the Carlisle group because, again, secure nation, secured uh, returns, and this is what, you know, this is the nation they're going to believe in as far as that money goes. So never forget that part, too. They invest heavily over here with those oil profits. Well, yeah. Real quick, gentlemen, gentlemen, uh, because it is the bottom of the hour, that is time to hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And again, folks, definitely check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com which Large Logic Political Talk is a proud member, as well as we are a new member, uh, and you can find on Facebook, of the American Liberty Radio Alliance. And you can find that by just putting that into the search engine there on Facebook. And, again, that is the American Liberty Radio Alliance. Uh, So let's go ahead and uh, bring it back to you gentlemen. So what we're going to do here is we're going to do something that we normally do at uh, at the end of the show, but we're going to do this now. And, And this might be something that, uh, I'll do uh, in, in, in the subsequent shows from tonight uh, to kind of close things out for a topic uh, before we move into the next one because uh, we went a little over, and that's okay. Uh, that's fine with me, but uh, we went over and already bring it back to our next topic tonight. And, you know, maybe in the third hour we can, we can come back to it. Uh, but time is going kind of fast tonight. But anyway, so what we'll do is we got, uh, including myself, but, I won't make any closing comments for that, but we do have you, John, and then Naj, and then Kelly and Dr. Colbert. But what we're going to do is we're going to give uh, each person just a couple minutes to do some closing comments on just this topic, and then we'll want to be able to move into the other topic about uh, uh, President Trump talking about repealing the Johnson Amendment. So let's go ahead and go with you, John, and then Naj, and Kelly, and then Dr. Colbert, and then we're going to move ourselves into our uh, – we're already in the next segment, but uh, so we'll, get, we'll stay into our next topic. Go ahead, John. I think that we have a whole lot more discussion to go for, even on just this topic. I mean, when you think of the fact oh, that certainly. the way our global our global economy is working, and back you can think back to the standards of the 70s and 80s or whatnot, but we weren't using the Federal Reserve pumping out $85 billion a month in order to, you know, have this quantitative easing to, easing to actually substantiate the dollar and hold it up. And now, because we are backing it on promises and stuff, and a lot of the countries around the world that are having problems financially, too, they're looking to other banking institutions, Deutsche Bank, Switzerland, you know, Swedish groups and whatnot, to try to stabilize their own economies. And you hear about all the America's the greatest, you know, nation on the earth, and we have $20 trillion in debt and umpteen hundreds of trillions of dollars in uh, long-term unfunded mandates, you know, what they call the fiscal gap that Mr. Ben Carson alerted us to a long time ago during the 
campaign. And so when you take all that into consideration, I'm thinking the dollar is going to collapse before we ever get all this stuff made if we don't watch our P's and Q's. Everything you guys are talking about is very important, and I, I agree with you in that sense. But at the same time, it goes back to truthfully, are we going to lose what Kelly was saying? Are we losing our Constitution? And I think Dr. Tolbert even brought it up too, is are we starting to see presidents again or setting a standard where they just they kind of ignored the Constitution? We've had that enough, and they just start running roughshod over it. So you have a breakdown in psychology, the psyche of humans, and it becomes more guerrilla warfare these days compared to traditional warfare than it was in the past. Back to you. And just to make a brief comment on that, and, and this kind of ties in whether you said not, is, you know, a lot of the debt, and I, you know, I agree to a point about, you know, you know the national debt thing of that nature, we got to do something with uh, control. But two things, one, uh, you know, some of that money, or maybe a lot, is money that we owe ourselves. Uh, and then another one is if, we, you know, cause people say, oh, well, we got all this money we owe China. You know, when the debt's really going to come to four, in my opinion, and if someone wants to make a comment later, it's fine, is how, what, how are they going to try to make us pay it back? If we're the strongest military, how are they going to try to force us to pay it? And that could be for another show. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Nas. Your point, too, um, Robert, is if you continue to keep, keep printing more dollars and you keep putting more dollars into the system, the supply and demand devalues that dollar over time. Oh, the yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. You're not even going to want to buy your treasury bills and your bonds and the securities that help stabilize this system. Yeah, I, I was just I was just going to add that, John. As far as China, uh, the moment China stops buying bonds, that would be the time to worry. But they're still buying them because they know this is a good security to invest in, going to get a good interest rate, and we're going to make money on purchasing these bonds. And, look, like I understand everybody's concerned about the printing of money. Yes, it can lead to inflation. Yes, it can lead to (laughs) some serious problems, as we've seen over the past 40 years when we get these downturns. But the the debt is not as worrisome as people think it is because we have such a big GDP we can roll debt over. Uh, There's still Civil War debt on the the books, but it's so small compared to GDP you can roll it over. Because a country is not like your family. Like your family debt, all of us have a day we're going to die. A country lives in, you know, perpetuity. So the debt can just keep going and going and going. And that debt allows you credit so you can actually spend more than what you actually have. So if we actually didn't roll over debt like we do now, uh, you'd be paying $10 a gallon for gas. Because all those things are subsidized by creating this huge debt and buying things at a certain price because we get it on credit, essentially. So the debt is not as bad as, as we think it is, but the eternal rot, internal rot, uh, I think John makes a great point. Uh, our political institutions and social institutions, the decline there could lead to some serious problems for us going forward. But I think economically, I, think, I don't think we have much to worry about. We just have to figure out a way to make sure everybody kind of get to <laughs> gets a shot at it. <laughs> as opposed to now to where the, the wealthy class pulls it all off the table and says, you guys get the leftovers. And let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Kelly, and then Dr. Tolbert, then we're going to move into our next uh, topic for tonight. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, Nice, that's interesting. Our debt isn't too bad in play, um, compared to our GDP. Um, 
nations go on into perpetuity. Can you tell me five governments on earth right now that are more than, oh, let's say, you know, 500 years old? Um, that, And I don't mean the king. I mean a government that is, um, well, let's see, Great Britain is uh, about 800 years old. But Magna Carta, 1215, okay, so they're 500, more than 500 years old. Uh, Greece, oh, wait, wait a minute, they've had all sorts of different governments. Um, they don't necessarily, well, <clears throat> my point is, and I'm agreeing with you, that the corruption is really the, one of the biggest problems, and inflation is one of the problems with corruption. Combine that with all sorts of legislation like the Subdivision Map Act, 1972, within 10 years, housing prices tripled. Yes, it was uh, choking the supply of land at the same time, printing money out of thin air. And next thing you know, wives are out of the homes because they can't afford uh, their homes anymore. And so families are being neglected because the wives are out of the homes. Um, you know, of course, for power to you if you want to work outside the home and raise kids. But, um, you know, we are, we are being set up over time for demise. And it's very concerning. And again, we're not following the Constitution with a gold-based currency. Um, anyway, that's kind of some thoughts on our monetary system: uh, phony money tied to tied to oil, tied to military um, military industrial complex. Gosh, I'm sounding like a Democrat, but you know what? Sometimes they nail it, and they've awakened me to bigger pictures in what's really going on with our country. And if we didn't have opposition, we wouldn't be able to, to uh, really look at things from an, another perspective that might actually help the country. And I'm a libertarian, so I get to look at the good things both parties do, as well as, well, I get to, you know, criticize both parties. But, <laughs> you know, no, yeah, no, I, I love it. You know, man, you make See, I can do that sense. in the green, right? <laughs> there you yep. go. Yep. All right. Let's, it's necessary. Next topic, I guess. Robert. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for the, the the doom and gloom there, Kelly. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> anyway, so let's uh, go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, uh, Dr. Tolbert. Yeah, and I really don't want to go any further with conversation you had there. I'd like to start and pick up the 501c3 if you, and when you're ready. Well, I am ready since you are. Go ahead and tell us more about that. Uh, tell us more about the uh, Johnson Amendment, and then you can tie that in with uh, your comments you want to state earlier about the upcoming Easter holiday. Okay, first I'm going to tell you it's not an amendment. It's a law. Uh, he wanted to pass uh, an amendment, and it did not go through. In 1954, he could not compete against an organization running for reelection. So they added the 501c3 restrictions. It was not against the religious organization. It was against any 501c3 organization. Right. Because the mm -hmm. people that were going against the um, him at the time was a group of individuals that were multi-millionaires in Texas. And they were a 501c3. So Johnson got a law passed that restricted 501c3s for participating in politics so the question would be is a 501c3 in violation of the first amendment to begin with 
if, in fact, it is putting restrictions on uh, religious organizations? And the answer is that no amendment was passed that has been put into the Constitution. However, a law that was passed restriction or restricting anyone from doing things in politics violated your amendment rights, freedom of speech. It also put the IRS in charge of your religious organizations under 501c3s, which should have never taken place. So in summary, you have a law, not an amendment. It was done in 1954. It went and was fought against five times. It was never disapproved. Uh, and, and it continues to be a law passed by Congress. Uh, can the executive branch force Congress to change the law? And the answer is no, we can't. And there is no amendment, so there is no constitutional amendment. So con- constitutionally, Congress has to come to determination, do they want to allow individuals that are 501c3s to fight against them when they're running for election? So that means any 501c3, just not just c3s, but any 501 period, c3, c4, or otherwise, would put up money and go against Congress, and Congress has defeated it and refuses to let it change four different times since its passing in 1954. So why are they going to do it now? What has to happen is the Congress has to come to the conclusion that all 501c3s are illegal under the Constitution because it violates the First Amendment. This needs to be taken to the Supreme Court. The churches need to file in the Supreme Court. The people need to file against it in the Supreme Court. We need to close down all 501c3s, period. Then the issue would not even be spoken about, and everybody would be able to have freedom of speech and, and freedom of religion. So does that kind of tie that together for you? Yeah, I'd say that puts it so uh, nicely in a way, but you're contending to get rid of all five C threes. Well, yeah, and I am a five hundred one, by the way, because of our church, and I did not want to renew it this year, and they sent me my certificate, and I told God, I said, God, I don't want to go through this again because I don't believe in it, and I got a call from the. feds and said oh by the way we sent your new certificate it's good again for another five years and your online teaching your web your theology and everything you're doing is 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 redone and i have no idea why i have been renewed other than the fact i have online schools and i do a lot of ministry work but we don't take donations because i don't believe in donations i believe if you're going to give me twenty dollars give it to your neighbor not to me and, and that's where mm. I stand with that, uh, which takes us into Easter now. And I want to just, I'm going to bring you really quick. The word Easter is a pagan word. We have plenty of time not to trouble. Yeah. Well, Easter is a pagan word that was made, it's called the mistress of fertility. And it was instituted prior to Jesus's, it was a, it was interpreted, it was misinterpreted. And John was on the radio with me Monday, so he knows what I'm about to say. Um, it, it actually, the Catholic Church took many pagan words and changed it into mm-hmm. what they wanted to use as a Christian word. So the word Easter right, to convert us. A, right. <laughs> so Monday was actually the first day of Passover. 
Passover was an eight-day principle. It was 14 days during a time period. The day of preparation for Passover was Sunday. Passover is we painted, painted the doors with the blood of the lambs to protect us as the angel of death flew over. And God says you have to be in worship for the eight-day period. So that's where that came from. The Easter bunny was a fertility symbol during the time of the pagans because rabbits give a lot of rabbits and fertility. The prolific. Right, and that they, they appropriate more than anything else. So that's why you see an Easter bunny. Next, the fact that the Easter egg was used as a symbol of the rocks at the door of where Jesus was put in the cave. So that's how you ended up with the word Easter. It's a pagan word, act of fertility. The Easter bunny is based on the fertility that was done at the times, and there's your egg. Now we get into the fact that you have an illegal holiday established in 1870 called Easter on Sunday, which is supposed to be in remembrance of the blood of the Lamb and the indwelling spirit of the Holy Ghost, which means you should be doing something for your neighbor, which goes back to the talents. You have the man, one man with one talent, one man with three talents, and the other man with five talents. One man with one talent buried his talents in the ground. The Bible gets into the fact that what you need to do is not by your words, but by your work. And the man buried his talent. He did not do the work. So now what are you going to do Sunday? You're going to go out and you're going to buy things from China. You guys are talking about monetary. So what are you going to do? On a pagan holiday, based on the pagan word, because it's not in the principles of what Passover was really meant to be from the Christian viewpoint, it was a changing of terminology and metaphors used by the Catholic Church to draw members into their organization, and we finding it in 1870, you're going to go to Walmart's which is 90 cents on the dollar goes back to China. You're going to buy clothing for your wife. You're going to buy clothing for your children. You're going to buy bunny rabbits and everything made in China. And you're going to send all your currency to a non-Christian country in worship of God rather than going into your neighborhood, rather than going and helping your neighbor, rather than sitting in prayer and doing what you're supposed to do. You've commercialized a very important day when the Lamb of God, the third part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and Holy Ghost, when he gave up himself as the Father in order to bring the indwelling spirit and take us out of the original sin, we, in fact, have disrespected our Lord Jesus Christ by the way we conduct ourselves on Easter. We need to get back to the principle of what Easter the name not being correct because it's a pagan name and we need to get back to its correct terminology, the blood of Jesus spilling on the cross and protecting us and taking away our sins. The American people have totally been deceived by commercialism, by the multimedia, and they have no idea. And I bring it forth and we post it. We send it out to the churches. We're asking all the pastors to please inform your people the true meaning of Easter. Please tell them what really happened. We had a full moon on Monday, the 14-day principle of March and April, how Easter was supposed to be formulated, how, how the name is totally derived from pagan terminology. And you guys can search the word. You can go on your computer. You can find the principles of what the word, where it was started at, and you find that I already did all that. So 
that's kind of what I want to <laughs> do with you. I wanted to he tell you, you guys know what Easter is, and you have no idea what a 501c3 is legally in the Constitution. Now I hope that that gets you back on track. <laughs> hey, Dr. Tolbert, um, I find what you're talking about quite interesting. Um, I do celebrate the Passover every year, even if i got, got to do it with myself and, and buying some lamb and all that. But there's uh, we have a Messianic rabbi. I call him Rabbi Neil. He's, a, he's, he's hilarious, but the whole ceremony of the Passover is such a a prophecy of, of, of Christ returning. And when I uh, people say Happy Easter, I say Happy uh, Happy Resurrection Day because obviously that's what it's all about. I'm I'm donating about I don't know two or three grand of my professional time as an engineer with a homeless for a, a local homeless shelter. Amen. And it's it's beautiful to see lives change. Uh, Rick and Mariah, they're on their feet now. They got a job. They got a place. Able to save up and work. Um, other people were helped. And, you know, in, in looking at the big picture, people can't get a job when they're homeless. Why? Oh, number one, they don't have an address. Maybe they have a P.O. box. But, you know, they're out in the cold. They're getting sick. They're not thinking straight. They're isolated. They're lonely. They're not somebody anybody will want to uh, employ. But we've provided safe, warm, and dry, and uh, people are getting up on their feet that otherwise would have taken months. So I think that's really where, um, you know, I like the idea of instead of commercialized things and <clears throat> these bunny eggs, whatever, all this other stuff, uh, yeah, help your neighbor. Yeah, we're sending the money to China rather than putting the money into our community and, and helping an individual or a family to be trained, employed, and and to work. Uh, that is where we really need to be because if through the blessings we had someone give themselves up for us, why are we not willing to give ourselves up for someone? That is really the question that we have to ask ourselves come this Sunday. And, you know, you're correct. You know, if the full moon was on Monday, if Passover started Monday, if the people understood the day of preparation, which would have been on Sunday under the Jewish religion and under the true meaning of Passover, and Passover wasn't about the resurrection, but it was the release of the Jewish people from the Pharaoh, and it was the third thing that happened, and the death took place. So they were then told by God that they needed to go into prayer, and that's how Passover takes place. And so we need to get into the facts of, what it is really about, and why isn't our pastors, our rabbis, our 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 priests, or whoever, not teaching America what they really should be doing, or the world for that matter, this coming Sunday, which, by the way, was legalized in 1870 and was used as a term, and it absolutely has no correct biblical meaning, nor is there anything in the Bible depicting the word or using the word Easter other than the fact it was a pagan terminology. Well, Constantine kind of merged <clears throat> Christianity with some pagan religions to bring about peace in the Roman Empire. So really, uh, Chuck Misser said that was one of the worst things that could have ever have happened is when um, <clears throat> uh, Constantine did that. And, and it was... Uh, and real quick, yeah, go yeah. ahead, Kelly. Well, I, I, well, I was looking at an art... Yeah, it's your show, Robert. I'm sorry that uh, 
it got turned into the Bard's Logic Gospel Hour again. But <laughs> I tease you about that. I still tease. I still tease. Well, no, Bard. I mean, well, and, and and this is what I, this is what I, well, and this is what I find interesting. And since, because uh, theology always has been and still is a, an interest of mine, and you know, I, I and, and you know, I just found an article uh, that I found interesting. Now, this is something I I didn't know because I I studied uh, the similarities between. Uh, the Christian resurrection story and that from the uh, Egyptian mythos uh, with Osiris. Uh, but there's another one uh, that's here that I wasn't aware of, and, and perhaps uh, you are, Dr. Tolbert, uh, where, uh, let's see, that's uh, here says, one theory, that, and, and tell me more about this, says, one theory that has been put forward is that the Esau story of crucifixion and resurrection is symbolic of rebirth and renewal and retells the cycle of the seasons, the death and the return of the sun. According to some scholars, such as Dr. Tony Nugent, teacher of theology and religious studies at Seattle University and Presbyterian minister, the Easter story comes from the Sumerian legend of uh, Tammuz and his wife Ishtar, an epic myth called the Descent of Anana, found inscribed on cuneiform clay tablets ba- uh, dated back to 2100 BC. When Tammuz uh, uh, dies, Ishtar is grief-stricken and follows him into the underworld. In the underworld, she enters through seven gates, and on her worldly attire is removed, uh, naked and bowed low. She is judged, killed, and hung on display. In her absence, the earth loses its fertility, crops cease to grow, and animals stop reproducing unless something is done. All off on earth will end. After Inanna, or Ishtar, has been missing for three days, her assistant goes to the other gods for help. Finally, one of them, Enki, creates two creatures uh, who create blah, blah, blah. So there are similarities here between the resurrection story and this. Uh, this legend that predates, uh, you know, Christianity by 2,000 years. Well, are you familiar, for one, are you familiar with this uh, resurrection story of Tammuz and Ishtar? And what would you say about the similarities between uh, this story having three days uh, with the three days between uh, Jesus' res- uh, crucifixion and resurrection? Well, that goes back to what I said, that the, the name itself of, of Easter was the act of fertility and the gods of pagan and how they actually created the fertility and the rebirth under that exact wording. And then you go into the fact of what happened with Jesus is called the rebirth also. It is also where we had removal of the, the original sin and we then gave up the the lamb or the the blood or Jesus, and that was called then being born again. So when we became born again, we look at the terminology of fertility, and we look at the pagan word, and we tie the pagan words in the what you just read of fertility into the born again of the fertility. So now we have the rebirth of a spiritual being indwelling within us that came in the Old Testament, came upon us, and now all of a sudden it doesn't come upon us. It now indwells within us. And we call that the travailing of the Spirit. So if we're going to give birth and we travail the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, now you have the tie-in what took place in the terminology of Easter 
how it talks about fertility. And then when you teach as a pastor, when you become born again, you say you travail or you give birth to the spirit, which all took place during the time of Passover, which happened when Jesus was captive. And he was then taking the day of preparation, which was happening at the time you painted the door was the day of preparation. It ties into the fact of the full moon because the Passover only happens during that 14-day period of the full moon, which was planting of the seeds, planting of the crops in preparation for the coming of new crops and new harvest. So all of that ties right back into why the, the, the pagan word ties into what we're doing, how that tied into Passover, and how that now ties into what's taking place Sunday. Unfortunately, nobody's being taught that, Robert. I, I, well, I, I'm not, well let, me, let me try to answer your uh, question a little more direct, Robert, if I understand your question. Your question was, it, there appears to be other similar stories, if you will, of a death and a resurrection after three days. Is that is that a, a summary of your um, well, yeah, that's a very yeah, that's a good synopsis. And and and, and through those uh, and and then those uh, religions, uh, theologies, or you know even um, mythologies, if you will, uh, those predate Christianity. Those stories predate Christianity, and some of the contentions are that Christianity adopted some of those stories for uh, their resurrection story. Yeah, well, that's an interesting, yeah, because the movie Zeitgeist goes through that quite a bit, um, discussion about, you know, uh, born of a virgin, three days uh, dies, three days rises from the dead. But the, the scriptures, even the Hebrew Torahs and the prophets, is, is way different than these other religions because Christ fulfilled, I think it's over, is it 40 or 50 prophecies? that Christ fulfilled when he, you know, crucified or risen after three days, it's stunning the number of prophecies he fulfilled. Now, these other religions that may have had these stories, these ancient religions that, by the way, have disappeared, um, the, these other uh, religions do not have a prophetic <laughs> uh, forecast that, that, that Christ had. I'm sorry, the what? I said thanks to the Romans, <laughs> for one. Go ahead. Well, yeah, but yeah, the, the prophecies he fulfilled. Um, even you know, just look at the Psalms. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was by King David. Um, a righteous man will not have his bones broken. Christ didn't have his bones broken. Um, who has believed our message? The Hebrews would completely miss it, and and then all of a sudden, then they got it. Um, born of a virgin, yes, of course, we've heard that before. Bethlehem, a specific town, was called out. Uh, where the Messiah would be born, um, he had uh, Herod tried to kill uh, Christ and other young people, and Joseph was warned in the dream. He went, uh, took Mary and Jesus to Egypt, and then he came back after another angel in the dream said it's safe to return now. And thus, I called my son out of Egypt. There are just a whole bunch of these prophecies that Christ fulfilled that the other religions do not have. They do not have this, this, I mean, God was hinting left and right and right and left, I'm going to send my son to the world because I love you all so much. He will suffer a brutal death. 
um, despised and rejected, did not open his mouth. There's another one, Isaiah 53. So, yeah, compare, yeah, I've heard these stories, and Zeitgeist talks about it, but Zeitgeist doesn't talk about the immense prophecies, and I'm sure Pastor Tolbert can go into more of the prophecies of Christ, which would be a nice show, by the way, maybe next Wednesday, considering uh, <laughs> the holiday coming up, Resurrection Day. <laughs> But it, it is absolutely different. It, yeah. It, it, the, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go, I mean, go ahead. It, it's beautiful when you read the Old Testament. It's seamless. It's quite seamless. Well, yeah. The old to the yeah. new. When Jesus, yeah. When Jesus just, just, just real it. quick. Can, can I just add something? Just real quick. Every every civilization, every I guess people that rose to uh, the size of a city state had a creation story. And some of those creation stories were shared because of how connected countries were to each other. Some people were to each other. And I think the main thing to understand is some of the stories are allegory and to teach a lesson and a lesson that people could understand who weren't literate, because we're talking about most of the world, they would have to have the story read to them by a learned person, a priest, or, you know, somebody who would be considered uh, of that class to really teach that. So you know they had to they had to use stories they had to use different angles to to get people to understand things. So what Dr. Tobit is doing right now, I think like that's the kind of the challenge to most pastors right now to tell your congregation, look, we're going to raise the intellectual level in here. This is going to be a little more difficult. It's not just going to be an emotional two hours on Sunday and then you go home and then you forget about it until the next week. Uh, we're actually going to look about these things as they relate to you and becoming, you know, what you say you are. So I, I think that's a that's a really important point. And just hearing him, he kind of reminds me of some of, <laughs> some of our churches from when I was a young kid in Illinois, man, because I'm, you know, I grew up with Baptist churches, man. So I had yeah. some pastors who were considered controversial back in their day. Yeah. But if and, you looked at what they said now, people wouldn't take it as so much contro- controversy. Yeah. But we got so many people now who are not interested in the church, and that's because of the public relations of the church, meaning a lot of the parishioners and how they act. They don't represent Christianity well, but I think challenging them and, and putting these stories in a way to where it's like, no, you can't just treat that as an old story. No, you're going to have to relate this to your life because I'm giving you this. Uh, I, I think that's substantial, man. Yeah, and I think that's why the Bible is called the living book, and that you have to live it accordingly. And when I first got called to the ministry in 99, it was through a Pentecostal uh, charismatic church, and I had came out of the Catholic background. And back to what Kelly said, that when uh, on the prophecies being fulfilled, Jesus stood in front of all the people, and he said, at the hearing of these words, it is completed which meant everything in the Old Testament that was supposed to happen was completed at the time of hearing of these words. So Jesus, in preparation for him to sacrifice himself, was already telling everybody, and you have to remember, the four Gospels are not part of the New Testament. They don't become the New Testament until you get to the book of Acts, and everybody tries to put the four Gospels as part of the New Testament. There's a big problem and also the book of Revelations at the end of the Bible should have been part of the four Gospels, and it was not. So if you go into what Robert was talking about theology, and, you know, I have a master's degree in that for whatever it's worth, you know, you have to really say what's the relevancy not to the book itself, 
but what is the relevancy of what took place and where am I at today? And this is where we get into what is happening Sunday. What is the relevancy and what am I supposed to be doing Sunday rather than buying clothes and where did the terminology and why are we not teaching this? The prophecies have been fulfilled. The blood of Jesus, the darkening of the sky, uh, the raising of the dead. You know, we can get into all these other aspects and teach it and spend hours upon hours as they do in charismatic churches. Or you can do it in 20 minutes and say, this is what you're supposed to be doing on Sunday. Going back to the fact, Robert, we got to close down 501c3s are illegal. Well, no, we just lost Nas, and unfortunately, he's not going to be able to call back in. Ah, I hate that. That's the one thing I do, well, there's a couple things, but uh, one of the things I do not like about the extended period is if someone loses the call, they lost it. Oh, I should have put that little reminder out about not losing your call. <clears throat> but, I, I mean, that's something. I mean, Nas has been here. Uh, you know, he, he knows, I guess, you know, something came up. Uh, not something came up, but maybe the battery died or something. On his phone. Oh, it's terrible. When his, like uh, his contribution, I was wanting to hear hear more. And I see there's uh, some other calls, unfortunately, that dropped that we're not going to be able to get in. We still got dust uh, here. So we, well, unfortunately, uh, Doctor Cobra, we do not have hours. Uh, and probably for me, at least, it's a good thing because I got a very long, love, <laughs> very long day tomorrow. Uh, but our company, actually, uh, you know, that I work for. They actually observe uh, Good Friday, so we will actually be uh, closed on that day. Now, I'll be still working that night, uh, unfortunately, but, uh, well, not unfortunately. you got to make money, right? And so, uh, you know, but anyway, we only got to – so if you want to give uh, that little synopsis about, you know, for those – now, of course, you know, Dr. Colbert, you know – you know, I won't, I won't be celebrating anything on Easter. I might actually be working some on on Easter. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but you know, I, I might buy some chocolate because well, just I like chocolate. But anyway, uh, so right. so tell us, uh, you know, for, for the audience there, be listening to the, uh, you know, the podcast, you know, about what you your thoughts on what you know it really needs to be done on Easter Sunday. Yeah, you know, and I and we and we get back we get back to this and we went into this is that every member of a family should gather together. They should gather together in prayer and thank God for the fact he gave himself up for the transfiguration and the rebirth of the Holy Spirit. They then should leave that dwelling place and they should go into the communities and they should work with and help the poor. When I was first brought into charismatic churches, we did not show up in, in dress formality. We actually prepared and cooked and worked with the communities on the name Easter Sunday in order to make sure that the community got taken care of. And every donation we took that particular day did not go into the building. It went into the community. It went into the families and homes. If you're going to do something on Sunday, find one person. You know, we, we always talk about we, we're online with all the countries, and we do a lot of things. And we had a lady from Colombia that came a hold of us through Facebook and through Messenger. She was an alcoholic. She had four children, and her husband was in jail. We put her into prayer for 14 days, 15 minutes a day. She became born again. She found the Holy Spirit. 
she stopped drinking, and we got word from her that last Sunday her husband was released on the day of preparation for the Passover. He was released. He became born again. He is now home with his wife during the Passover, good Christian family. They're now changing their whole lifestyle. So if you want to know what you can do by the word of God, and you can get people into prayer, and you can put them to work on Sunday, and you want to get them reemployed, you've got to get a change of mind. Everybody has to understand, my grandparents were prostitutes. My mother and father were alcoholics. Two of my sisters committed suicide. At the age of 17, Sorry I to hear about that. Yeah, at the age of 17, I had to go in the Army or go to jail. So my background and my trials and tribulations, when I do prison ministry and the men in the prisons look at me and they say, if you can come through this and you can do that, and when I did my doctorate degree and my dissertation, I did it on why do you succeed. It's called self-motivation. And I ask everybody in the audience, be motivated to go out and do something for someone in their community because they need to be motivated to get employment. They need to get motivated to get a job. We watched the judges on television uh, that came from the, the bad neighborhoods that were in jail. We've watched people that were on drugs transform their life. We watched all this stuff happening, but it takes one mentor, only one. I was a mentor for one person in Columbia a couple weeks ago that changed their life. Can you on Sunday be a mentor for one person that changes their life and you become the seed that was planted in that person that gives birth and causes travailing of the Holy Spirit where that person becomes born again and then becomes a productive member of our society? That's what Easter should be about on Sunday. It shouldn't be about the dresses. It shouldn't be about the clothes. It shouldn't be even about the building that everybody wants to call the church because you are the church. It should be about you gathering together in prayer, grouping together, going out and working and helping and being born again with somebody in your community. The travailing of the blood, the painting of the door, the beginning and the preparation of the Passover. This is where we should be, Robert, and we're not there. And let's bring this uh, back around to our uh, topic of the 50, and I appreciate it, uh, you know, uh, bringing that in for our, our, our folks who, you know, follow that, uh, you know, to the Christian uh, members of the audience, which I think is a, a good deal amount of the, the people who listen to the show. And so let's go ahead and uh, now with the 501c3 engineer, we should get rid of them altogether, which, you know, I, I, I don't see that happening. But when it comes to uh, now, let, let's say that they were to, you know, at least as they put it, whether it's constitutional or not, obviously it doesn't seem like they care. But let's say that they were to repeal what they call uh, the Johnson Amendment. What do you see the, the positive, if any, uh, aspects uh, of that uh, towards free speech, especially when it comes to folks like yourself who are pastors and it can free them from having those types of discussions. I mean, do you see that happening or what's your thoughts? Yeah, well, the first thing is when you were talking about it, I went into five different websites and found that it was not an amendment. It was actually a law that was passed. 
And so what they're telling you, that there was a constitutional amendment, which there was not, because that would have taken the approval of all the states, so that didn't happen. So now the question is, can they appeal the law or can they change the law and can they allow it? You have to remember what I said. It's already been in front of the House and the Senate four times since 1954. The first time was in 63. It was not appealed. It is not going to be appealed because it would not be in the benefit of politicians. It would be in the benefit of the American people and our political system don't care about the American people. 501c3s are unconstitutional. It violates the First Amendment. The fact that they don't let the people in the ministry speak or they'll lose their 501c3s is in violation of your right of freedom of speech. And in addition to all that, they're the pastors are afraid to lose their 501c3s because they mm-hmm. want to keep the money itself to buy new cars rather than put it in the community. So I have a real problem with 501c3s. I have real problem with the violation of the First Amendment, and I have a real problem with the IRS and how it should be closed down, and I have a real problem with the legality of a law that was passed that was totally illegal in violation of the First Amendment, and I think it should go to the Supreme Court. And now we have it uh, for you, Dr. Toller. And what about the, you, John? Would you like to chime in on that? And then we'll uh, bring in you, Kelly, on this issue. And then, of course, uh, what we'll do is we'll bring our last segment and just talk about uh, some of the other topics of the week, including, and you mentioned this uh, somewhat earlier, Dr. Tolbert, about, you know, uh, Tuesday night was, well, well, we'll talk about that uh, after the comments about uh, about O'Reilly, and, and we'll see what else we can get uh Get through that, but let's go ahead and bring it over to you, John. I don't really have anything to add. I think. Okay, Kelly, would you like to add anything on that, or? Well, I'm actually rather shocked, John, that he's so quiet because I do, I, I do like John's input. He's just quiet tonight, I guess. But um, yeah, there's other groups that are working on overturning the 501c3 um, against churches because. You look at it practically. What is it practically? It's shutting up the churches. It's shutting up a uh, huge moral res- reservoir of, of people and voters and their the voting stats as far as you know um, the percentage of the population. You go to the church population, it's pretty much the same. It's a low voter turnout, and so if you don't want if you don't want the uh, moral society moral politicians, so you got to make sure the church people don't vote. I have picked up a, say, a saying here, a little card for, I don't know, 50 cents, a bunch of cute sayings, but this is this one, it says, I put it on my wall, why is it that our children can't read a Bible in school, but they can in prison? I mean, pretty much says it all right there. So 501c3, things are changing. Uh, the Revolutionary War. Where did a lot of the people that would fight against the British come from? Churches who encouraged um, the um, congregation folk to uh, fight. That would be, oh, that's right, the pastors. But, of course, in those eras, you had the well-regulated militia. And I say well-regulated because pretty much every colony had one. It kept order and peace. And uh, they'd bring their guns to church. Strange thing. And when uh, Great Britain was becoming a tyrant, well, time to uh, overthrow such um, tyranny. And so 
the power of um, people going to church, which, what, 90% or 99% of people believe in God, you know, the powers that be, and they just they just don't want church people to vote. So they've gotten a lot of mileage, but that is actually changing. I can't remember the group that's working on it. I know uh, ACLJ, uh, Jay Seculo, and a few other groups and retired attorneys are saying, hey, there's even pastors that record a sermon about politics on a Sunday morning and they send it to the IRS in defiance. And so far they haven't had any 501c3 revoked yet. But they're, it's not just um, defiance now. There are pastors across America that are trying to pick a fight with the IRS. So that'll, that'll eventually change. Um, you know, if, if we, the people, are in charge of our government, which preamble to the Constitution, we the people. What is wrong with the pastor telling his congregation, hey, put your values into uh, our government. Hold corruption accountable. And, the, you know, my straight-up opinion, I wish Christians would actually vote because then maybe, just maybe the corporations wouldn't have so damn much power over this country. And the military-industrial complex, the prison-industrial complex, Etc. 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 You know, I welcome Christian influence. I don't welcome politicians that are going to be uh, preachy and 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 push religion on the people from the pulpit. At the homeless shelter, it's re- it's required that you have to um, attend the devotions. And I'm like, I tell people, look, it's optional. It's optional. Hey, you're hanging over there in the corner. You're good. I don't like people forcing religion, but it should be allowed to run freely. You know what I'm saying? Um, people should be free, but don't push. That's that's my bottom line. Anyway, that's about enough of the 501c3 topic. Yeah, and I just want to add to that one second, Kelly, is that 501c3s were not just designated to religious, but they were designated to nonprofit organizations that were restricted by the law in 1954 from being able to talk. So it was any and all nonprofit organizations and we keep using or limiting it to the terminology of those that were religious but in fact if you go to politicalfacts.com and you pull up the 501c3 under Johnson and you'll see a picture of Trump and you'll see an article and how it's written and it covers what I just spoke to you about and how Johnson was rerunning the number of times it was tried to change from the law and it's illegality and what took place. So that's where I'm getting my information from tonight. Although I so, already so, know that I'm just kind of tying together through that article for you. Okay, so I, I got a clarification then from your studies, okay? The clarification is, was was Johnson trying to restrict... Non-profit uh, organizations. Okay, so, pe- so, people, so people that were getting together, say, for the common good of the country... All right. Right. People that are getting together for the common good of the country, they're forming political alliances. All right. To do some activism right. to make positive change. Was Johnson trying to shut those down? There was a multi-millionaire owner, Dudley Dohana, who defeated uh, Johnson. He was a 501c3 organization. 
and there was no church involved, was going against second term when Johnson was running for the Senate, and Johnson got the law passed so Johnson could win the election and stop them from talking about uh, politics. That's how he did it. So it's, it's, it was his political opposition he was trying to shut down. That's correct. That's why, they, so, that's why the law got passed to shut down his political opposition, and that's why you have the restrictions on 501c3s. So LB, you're talking Johnson LBJ, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, well, LBJ also, he said this, and this was really unbelievable when I heard this. I'd heard it from several sources. LBJ was the one who wanted to get um, uh, the black Americans into the Democratic Party. But he said, I really don't care about these people, but I want their vote. Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. And to talk about what he did, and of course I go back into the fact, why was Kennedy assassinated? How did Johnson, part of the CIA, be part of that and where was the federal reserves and that's going to be a totally different subject because uh, i know where johnson stood with the federal reserves i know a lot of things that people don't fully comprehend but the fact that he was restricting any and all non-profit group that was a 501c3 to not directly or indirectly to get involved in politics was so that he could get reelected, and that's how he got reelected. Well, well, LBJ also got us off the silver standard. A couple of years in office, I think, and he basically said, "We're not going to honor the, uh, you know, silver certificates. We're just not going to honor them anymore." It's like, well, wait a minute! Yeah. You just took us off the silver standard. Nixon took us off the gold standard temporarily, right. and we had this inflation. Right, and then that goes back to the fact that the Federal Reserves were all governed and controlled by the Jesuits and that the sink, and I could get into the sinking of the Titanic, I get into a lot of other things, but Johnson was very much tied into the Federal Reserves and he got reelected because of the Jesuits and that they wanted to keep the Federal Reserve where Kennedy wanted to close down the Federal Reserves and Kennedy wanted to bring back the gold standard and nobody wanted that to happen, so there's an assassination. You know, we can call that another coincidence. But the fact well, remains, well, 501 yeah. C3s initiated only for the purpose of closed down political competition. Wow. Yeah, LBJ, I just, he was one of our worst presidents, very conniving, very behind the scenes. Um, Kennedy issued Executive Order 11110, going back to the gold standard. Uh, uh, they call them Kennedy notes, I guess, um, coin collectors. And uh, you can still say it. It says United States note, not Federal Reserve note. Um, and then another thing he didn't like, Kennedy Kennedy didn't like the war in Vietnam. He was going to shut down the military-industrial complex. Kennedy even said um, secret societies are not um, suitable, suitable for an, an open republic, uh, something like that. They didn't like him. They, and so... When you can print money out of thin air, you can have infinite wars, military-industrial complex. You can do what, what's been going on, and they didn't like him, and so they, they took Kennedy out. It That's was, correct. It's rather stunning, yeah. And, and, and a lot of people in America do not fully comprehend who the Jesuits, the Illuminati's, and why the Federal Reserves, 
For an example, there and were. I definitely want to have a show on that because that's always been an interest of mine. Actually, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the Federal Reserve, the Jesuits, or both. Yeah, there were over fifty some people on the Titanic that were tied into the Federal Reserves, and they were going to have a big boat taken up. And in that boat, the members that were on the Titanic would have been the ones to change and close down the Federal Reserves. The Titanic sinks. All those members get killed. And the votes was to continue and have the Federal Reserves. Another coincidence, by the way. Wow. Then all the rich people, though, were, were the ones who were able to get on the vote. That's right. But that's, I'll put on that's, the. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's all why the rich they people were... got to go on the lifeboats. <laughs> yeah. Well, the people that died on the Titanic would be the same ones that died in an apartment fire, the eight members of the Clintons organization when the building burned down last year and eight members of the Clinton Foundation died in the fire. Another coincidence, 51 people died committing suicide to work for the Kennedys, the members of the Federal Reserve being on the Titanic. They fall through. Uh, Kennedy tries to change, goes back to the gold standard. He gets executed. How many coincidences do we need? Oh, like that expert witness um, that lived in Laurel, Maryland. I lived in Laurel, Maryland at the same time. This expert witness was going to testify that those sparks were actually rifles, military rifles going off. He just happened to be found dead of a heart attack. His uh, right. cleaning lady found him dead just, just a couple of days before, um, just, just before he was to testify before Congress. Sonny Bono was going to expose uh, illegal sale of arms. He had a ski accident. He wasn't a good skier. He was an excellent lifelong skier. The FBI just had to show up first, not the sheriff. It's just coincidence that these things keep happening. Yeah, they're all, they're all, it's all coincidence. Everything we talk about on this show, and we got to go back to the fact is, let's go back into 501c3s. Will Congress, the Senate, and the House, will they allow the 501c3s to be involved in politics knowing that that would put them out of office? Ooh, good one. The answer would be... Yeah, that's like them voting themselves term limits, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, Supreme Court should be on term limits first. Will Congress vote and take that on? The answer is no, because that means if they did that, then they had to vote themselves on term limits, so they're not going to do that either. That's that's as simple as it is. You know, I wonder if... You know, here's the thing. Is there a way, and, and I'll ask you guys first, you know, and then John, if you know, I have an answer to this too. Is there a way through referendum we could actually vote in, you know, some type of uh, term limits, or does it have to come through Congress because of some kind of amendment or something? Oh, there's it's, the one that John would like to take on because he would talk to you for about 20 minutes on that subject. Well, it's real simple, Robert. Um, a national referendum is called a constitutional amendment, Article 5 Convention. The states have called it enough times. And then, and, and according to the Constitution, con- once they receive this from the states, it is their duty to call it. And Congress has not. In the 60s, there was a balanced budget amendment, uh, enough states to call it. Congress didn't call it. So there's two ways to get an Article 5 convention. One, Congress called it, like, you know, when the Bill of Rights came out. They were complaining, hey, where are the Bill of Rights? We're not going to join the union until you get the Bill of Rights for a session of Congress. Uh, Madison stands up, reads the Bill of Rights. 
Oh, sorry about that, guys. Yeah, we'll get the bill rights out to you right away. They did. But since then, you know, we should be having we should be up to probably 50 amendments by now, and that's our national referendum. It's Congress calls it, or the states um, petition Congress, and then Congress calls it. They haven't done it. It's very disgusting. Yeah, but has the majority of the states, Kelly, actually stood up and forced the issues, or are we still below the majority required in order to do that? Multiple times, according to some research groups, the states have petitioned enough that Congress should have called it, but they did not. Okay. Yeah, and I don't have an answer because I don't know of the majority of states that have came to do that because it comes back to the Constitution says that if Congress or the Supreme Court rules against something that is not covered under the 17 articles of the Constitution, that the states can reject the federal, uh, the Senate, and they can reject the Supreme Court. And that's just a strict state. But for them to force Congress, it takes two-thirds of the states to go in and say, this is what we want you to do. And if Congress too, does right. not do that, there's a violation. Absolutely. So two th- there's been enough states, two-thirds, on this one issue, balanced budget amendment 60s, and Congress didn't do it. It takes three-quarters to pass. Congress right. hasn't done it. And, you know, so essentially we have an oligarchy here, and it's a real problem. Oh, yeah. I've been saying that for like four years now. <laughs> Well, why do you think I left? I was saying that at the beginning party? of the show. Yeah, why do you think I left the Republican Party? I left the Republican Party because I voted for Bush the first time, not the second time. And like, are you out of your freaking mind? You're go- no, I'm done. I'm done with Republicans for going to war in Iraq. And what was the exit strategy? The exit strategy is there is none because we want to fund the military-industrial complex. This is disgusting. Yeah, well, I go they back should be spending all this money on, on 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 space exploration. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah, John. You know, on this Article Five Convention of the States, um, you know, I don't tend to know everything, but if I understand correctly, if if two thirds of the several states apply, you know, it's not the federal legislatures that call the convention. It's the two-thirds of the state legislatures call the convention for proposing the amendment, and then it takes three-fourths of all those states to ratify the the legislation and bypass the federal government. That's what I thought I understood it to be. Yeah, let me me clarify it, okay? Congress... I thought it was three-fifths. I I want to use a different word, facilitate. Two-thirds to apply and three-fourths to ratify. Correct. So there's two two modes of calling an Article 5 convention. Congress calls it like they did with the Bill of Rights. Or two-thirds of the states apply, and then Congress has to facilitate, as in make it happen, set a time, a date, send out the invitations. There you go. Yeah, but, but that's for Cong- all the state. The state congresses do that, not the federal congress. No, 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 no. Read it. Read, read it again. Read Article Five. 
It's Congress's yeah. duty is to facilitate once they've received the request from the states. They have refused to facilitate. This is a serious problem. Yeah, you have to read about three, four, five times, and you'll get it. Congress's job is to facilitate when enough states have requested it, and they have it. Now, you, well, are you saying the states haven't requested it, or are you saying the, no, the states Congress have didn't facilitate have, like, it? Congress has, um, okay, like the Balanced Budget Act of the 60s. Two-thirds of the state requested of Congress, call okay. it, facilitate it. Congress was derelict in their duty for the balanced budget amendment. Okay, got it. Yeah. See, could, that not, could that not mean that, that in Article 5, that, right? Each, well, one one person at a time, guys. Yeah. You have to read it right, several yeah. times. Congress facilitates whether Congress calls it or the states call it. Congress hasn't facilitated. You mean the federal Congress has to facilitate yes. it? I don't yes, see that. Congress. I'm looking at it right now. You have to read it three or four times it, 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 because it, it's. I think yeah, that's one of the mental scams that they've manipulated on people that they believe that because that's not in the text that I'm looking at, and I'm looking right at it right now, Article 5. Well, go ahead and read it, and we'll, we'll, it'll confuse everybody. Go ahead and read it. Well, it, says, it says, the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for purposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes, as part of this Constitution, when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress, provided that no amendment which may be uh, made prior to the year 1,880, you know, basically 1,808, whatever the date was, shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses in the ninth section of the first article. That may be where it is that you're referring to, and, and I don't know what the clause is, the, the, fourth clause yeah, is in the, the ninth the, section of the first well, article. It, it, okay. The key phrase is the first two words. Read the first two words. First two words, the Congress? Yes, the Congress. Steered down to facilitate when the states have requested no, it says, or, after the, the very first sentence is, the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for purposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution, when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions and three-fourths thereof. Okay, okay. Let, 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 let me summarize this, okay? I uh, hear you. I just okay. disagree with your ad and your yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I, I had to read it many times and, and call Richard Fry, a beloved constitutional attorney in Kansas. You know, God rest Which his soul. Which we've had on the show before, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so the Congress, words, 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 and then it says, what's it say after that? Um, 
shall call. But Congress, words, 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 shall call. Yes, it does say shall call, Kelly, but that's when it's refer- it says it's referring to the several states convention for purposing amendments. Or proposing starts, uh, right, 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 right. But what I'm trying to tell you, there's a lot of confusion in it. You've got to read it several times. But it says the Congress, words, 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 if that, that, this, this, that, word, words, words, shall call. The Congress shall call. No, because it has or on the application <laughs> of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call. Right. Congress shall call upon the application of two-thirds. That's what I'm saying. Congress shall call on the application upon two-thirds. We've got to get somebody on the show who can also explain this and the multiple attempts that have been tried by the state, and Congress did not call it. I, I think your answer, Kelly, is going to be where it says ratific- ratification may be proposed so in the closing argument, it would be Congress has to take and ratify what has been proposed. And if Congress don't put it on the table for that ratification, that means the states have a right to file against Congress through the Supreme Court, and the states are not doing it. Well, that is a system also afforded. Uh, a remedy, if you will, a remedy that if Congress doesn't call, then the states would sue. Correct, and they're not. That's the problem. Right, the we got to get an expert because this, the this, states this have whole a right. Conver- if Congress does not ratify, but if the Congress does not set it up and does not ratify it, and there's two thirds of the states, then the two thirds of the states have a right to file against Congress through the Supreme Court for ratification. And they would have to file. Well, against why don't the Supreme state court? Well, well, that's, well, that's, that's another exactly. good question. But what I'm saying is the states the states will have to file a lawsuit to force Congress to call it. That's correct. Isn't that right? And that's what's not happening. So you're both correct in the way you're phrasing it, but the problem is is the rephrasing, the ratification has to take place by Congress, and if Congress doesn't do that, then the two-thirds of the states must file a lawsuit, and the two-thirds of the states are not filing a lawsuit Therefore, the amendment's not taking place. It would be fascinating to get an expert on this topic and all. I mean, it's not just—it's just not the Balanced Budget Act of six of the sixties. There's been multiple other attempts. What's going on? Why can't we amend it? We should be at fifty by now. Because we're not. The two-thirds of the states don't understand that under a federalism that you have the right had to not uh, go along with the Congress that you can actually file against and sue through the Supreme Court and you can remove yourself just as the Supreme Court ruled on same-sex marriage and the state of Florida had uh, marriage as a man and woman and the state of Florida did not go against the Supreme Court and they were legally empowered to go against the Supreme Court. They did not do that. So why would the two-thirds of the states go to the Supreme Court on anything when, in fact, they won't even take a simple issue, which is constitutionally incorrect because the Supreme Court cannot make laws? So you have Congress not ratifying 
who's not going through the procedures. You have a Supreme Court who is passing laws, and you have a president that with prior president who did over 900 executive orders, and then you have a current president who has declared war in the, in the missile attacks on another country without the backing or support of Congress, without any constitution constitutional uh, right to do so. So, you know, you take the whole political system, the 17 reasons why the federal government has authority and anything not under the Constitution under Amendment 10, how they're all being violated. So you guys can talk all day long. The states aren't doing their job. You can talk about the Senate. You can talk about the Congress. You can talk about the Supreme Court. What you need to do is fire all your governors. Well, here, here's, here's what's really going on, okay? If the states make a big ruckus, the federal government just says, we're not going to give you your money back through grants. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, true, that's true, too. That's what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, they're, they're so they don't lose that federal funding. Yeah. Department right. of Education, Department of Transportation, the EPA, they're all illegal. They're in, unconstitutional. They have no power over the states. The states are being paid multi-millions of dollars. They lose that power of that money. They then say, no, we'll support the government's Department of Education, the EPA, Department of Transportation. We listed 15 different things the other day that was unconstitutional that are departments in the federal government that violate the Constitution. And, you know, we go back into the fact the reason why the two-thirds of the states do not go against Congress because they will lose the funding. Right. The and funding that, that the states that... give. Yeah. Anyway. Go ahead sorry. and finish it up, and then we'll have to take final comments for tonight. Well, so simply, you print, money out of thin air. You, you, you print money out of thin air through the Federal Reserve, and the states get more money than they put in. It's real simple. Oh, we got to have that money. we got to have that money. got to have that money. Okay, I'm not going to go against the, the big daddy, um, all-seeing eye, um, the god of the U.S. government. I mean, yes, I appreciate our system absolutely, but whoever has perverted it from the Constitution has created a lot of pain, a lot of problems, a lot of fear, and we are losing our liberties. Federal Reserve needs to end tomorrow. And with that, let's go ahead and get uh, final comments of all of our topics tonight. Uh, each person got about a minute and a half, then I'll have to close things out uh, for the uh, saving. I want to thank everyone for uh, coming on to the show. So let's go ahead and start with you, John, and then we'll uh, go with you, uh, Dr. Colbert, and then you, Kelly, and then I'll close things out. Go ahead, John. Man, this is a great show this evening, and I think we need to figure out how to make sure that the – tax dollars are no longer being collected by the remitted on our behalf and we should have the right to decide how to you know figure this out where they aren't they don't have that money automatically going into the bank accounts for them to manipulate that type of situation and they shouldn't be just automatically stealing our money at the at the paycheck and then giving it to the thieves and then the thieves using it for their purposes and Totally rendering the rest of us slaves to the system. It's just sad, sad, sad. Anyway, excellent show. You know, everybody, you're listening to Bard's Logic Political Talk. Go check out Bard's Logic Political Talk dot com. 
Check it out. Come back next week, same time, same channel. Back to you, Robert. Thank you very much, John. And then we'll go ahead and bring it over here, Dr. Tolbert. And what's your yeah. comics, uh, comics, comics for tonight's show? Go ahead. Yeah, and I'm going to do it very simple. You close down the IRS. It's called H.R. 25, Fair Tax Law. The states collect the federal taxes at the time of purchase. You close down all the federal departments that are illegal. The 2% of collection fee under H.R. 25 goes to the state. 1% goes to education. 1% goes to medical. That takes care of that problem. The President of the United States, without authority of the federal government or the Congress to go in and do anything, is totally unconstitutional. The 501c3s are a law that is not an amendment, and so when the news media use the word amendment, you have to know it's actually a law that was established, and it is an illegal law because it violates the First Amendment. And then we get into the fact Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving up your life, and we appreciate God for all the goodness and the protection you give in America. In God's name, amen. Amen. Thank you very wow. much, Dr. Tobo. We look forward to having you guys both uh, back on the show. Let's go ahead and bring it to you, Kelly. Boy. Okay. If a country goes bad, we bomb them. What happens when we're bad? Who bombs us? Um, I like Trump's idea of stop giving money to all sorts of countries, particularly that aren't pulling their load in NATO. Uh, and where were they when it came to Syria? Um, oh, that's right. They were broke. Let's see. Uh, 501c3s, LBJ. As soon as I heard that, red flag, red flag. That guy was not good for our country. Um, all sorts of coincidences that occur just so that the corrupt people who are lusting for power who don't care about others continue their power fix. That's the only way they can feel alive. Um, let's see. We've talked about so many topics, but I don't even know where to go. The Constitution was, was put together through prayer. In the history of the world, except for the Hebrews, there is none. There, there is second to none. I mean, okay, I like the Hebrew Torah, but in other nations, other nations, secular, there's no better, there's no better document where the law is above the government. We are blessed. We have to pray, and hopefully, we'll continue or regain some of our freedoms, liberties, and prosperity. And Please, if you're a praying person, pray for Trump. Better really think about what he's doing next time. And uh, I guess that's it. Well, thank you very much, Kelly, as always, uh, and your contributions here on the show. And, of course, uh, we want to put out our thoughts and for uh, those who are prayerful folks as well uh, to uh, put those thoughts out for our friend Susan who uh, has some things going on uh, that we want to uh, send some positive thoughts out uh, to her. And, of course, for all of those who will be celebrating Easter this weekend, I want to wish you a, a happy Easter and, you know, and, and enjoy it and, and do it the way uh, that uh, is deemed, uh, I guess, the way it's uh, supposed to, depending on, uh, you know, your, your set of beliefs and what your dogmas are and, and follow those. And so uh, we will look forward to seeing everyone uh, again next week, uh, same time. 
And, of course, uh, check out, as you pointed out, uh, John, the Bards Logic Political Talk website by going to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com uh, where you can subscribe to the newsroom. Uh, you also can uh, send out the link by uh, going to Twitter and sharing it out on Twitter if you're uh, one of those users, uh, as well as you can follow me uh, on Twitter as well. Uh, and so uh, that's a way you can do that from the website. And also you can uh, copy and paste from the contact page uh, the description of tonight's show uh, so you can uh, email the show out uh, to uh, the people on your email uh, list. And so I will end tonight as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So take care, folks. We'll see you again, and good night. God bless. Thank mm-hmm. you.